When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com and the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore, the finest place online and in person for all the best Ohio State apparel, and MinutemanTickets.com, all your ticket needs, a national selection with the local feel. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarice, Bill Landis, your Ohio State coverage team for Cleveland.com. And Landis is here, and he's not dead. And yeah. when I saw you in the parking lot last night when we were leaving the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, there was a chance that you would be dead by this morning. Yeah. Uh, There was a a chance that my washer and dryer may have fallen on top of me and crushed me. Um, Because currently, my current situation is that 75% roughly of my wardrobe is locked inside my washer machine, covered in detergent. Um, Because I put it in there on, what's today, Wednesday. I put it in there on Tuesday and started it and walked away and came back an hour later and it hadn't started, but it's still locked. Um, and it's very heavy and it's a two person job to like move it out of the way and try to fix it. And like we couldn't fix it, but if I would have tried to do it by myself, I probably would have died. What's happening now? Is the Groundhog Man coming over to unlock no, the washer? The, the, or? the Sears Man is coming next Wednesday. For real? Next Wednesday? <laughs> yeah. And I'm not joking. Like, I I put on my last pair of clean underwear this morning when I came over here, so I have to go buy new ones. Wow. That's yeah. a big washer that you have. I don't have a lot of clothes. <laughs> I don't have a lot of clothes. Well, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. I think you need to treat this as an opportunity for a new bill. <laughs> Old bill is locked in the washer. <laughs> new bill is out. Just buying a whole new wardrobe and taking a new step in life. Yeah. And uh, going no- commando. Yeah. <laughs> new bill goes commando. Um, I like it when we talk about stuff and then people say that was too much information. Yeah. yeah. You you know this podcast by now. Yeah. I mean, it's your fault for listening. <laughs> so listen, we're going to get into a couple things. We're going to get into a lot of your questions because a lot of you have a lot of questions. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Samson James, James Sampson, the decommit um, from Ohio State's backfield. He's going to Indiana. We'll talk about where Ohio State was ranked in the preseason basketball poll. Did you vote in the poll? I did. Where'd you rank Ohio State? Uh, eighth. Eighth. And we're mostly going to start with the question, are Ohio State and Alabama 
the same teams right now. And what is interesting about that is that they are two of the three best teams in America, coached by the two most legendary current coaches, and both those coaches are currently being driven crazy by their own team's success. And of course, you can follow us at BillAndis25 at Douglas Maurice. Email us at BuckeyeTalkPod at Gmail. Tweet us also at BuckeyeTalkPod. Bill Landis, mm-hmm. what percent similar are Ohio State and Alabama as football Ooh. programs on the field and in coach emotion right now? Is it 100% they are the same team, Alabama just has an accent? I think in, in uh, what did you say, coach what? Coach emotion. Coach emotion, I think they're 100%. Uh, team-wise, I'll leave a little bit of wiggle room in favor of Alabama and say that they're like 91% the same. Here's the thing that we're going to get into, and I think this is an interesting distinction. What, what we're really talking about is the idea that Alabama and Ohio State both have High-flying, high-scoring passing offenses right now. And that's not usually what either of them do. Alabama especially. Alabama has won national title after national title with their quarterback being the 19th best player on the team. Uh, (laughs) Ohio State has been more reliant on good quarterback play, but typically that quarterback play has revolved around the running of the quarterback with passing as opposed to the passing of Dwayne Haskins. But on Tuesday night, we found out that Dwayne Haskins and Tua Tagovailoa. How close was that? So it's so uh, Tag of it's it's pronounced. There's like a the, the G, and and I don't like in these Polynesian languages. Yeah, the letter G is pronounced like N G. Ta- so like the like so it's mm. tongue, it's Tagovailoa. Tagovailoa. Yeah. Tua Tagovailoa. Oh, that sounds better. Yeah. I learned that listening to another pod. Solid verbal, that's where I learned that. Really? Yeah. Tonga Vailoa. Tonga Vailoa. Like if I went upstairs and took my dong for a walk. <laughs> that came out wrong. Uh, I didn't know I was going to say that. That was an accidental I'm, dong on your I'm, last full podcast. I'm really glad you did. That would be another good name. Oh, wow. That We're going to send you out with another with another name for a strip club. Accidental dong. Accidental dong. Let me write that down. <laughs> so, uh... So we find out that Dwayne Haskins and Tua Tonga-Vailoa are friends, friendly at the very least. They talk regularly, and there's some – I always get confused when the kids today, they talk about talking, and they don't actually talk, I don't think, because I don't think anyone under the age of 25 has actually ever used a cell phone as a phone. So I'm assuming they're texting and snapping and gramming and Facebooking and tweeting. Yeah, yeah. They're communicating hmm? every week. And they are changing their football programs. Dwayne Haskins actually looking at it because because Tua is the overwhelming Heisman favorite, and yes. people are like, well, "What do you mean by that?" It's like, well, everybody who's doing Heisman polls right now, he he's getting all the first place votes, so it's imaginary. But sometimes these polls they involve college football writers, and sometimes they involve people who are going to vote for the real thing. So I think the consensus at the moment is Tua is first, and Dwayne is second, mm-hmm. and they're hanging out. And they're changing their programs, and they're throwing the ball. And as I was saying, Dwayne actually has, like, bigger numbers. But it's because he's thrown, like, twice as many passes as Tua. Tua's going 8 for 11 for 600 yards. Dwayne's going 31 for 39 for 600 yards. Um, but 
the result is that both of these legendary coaches, Nick Saban and Urban Meyer, are winning by throwing, and neither of them particularly like it. Here's a distinction I want to make first as we begin this conversation. Urban's not comfortable because he is accustomed to a running quarterback, but Urban is still an offensive guy. And I had the conversation with Urban two weeks ago. Are you a little bit uncomfortable with the running quarterback? And he was uncomfortable with the question about being uncomfortable. So, <laughs> yes, he's uncomfortable. It's fine. He knows it's working, but it's still not in his comfort zone. But at least Urban Meyer is an offensive guy. Nick Saban is a defensive guy. So the 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 flip side of both these offenses is that both defenses are giving up more points and more yards than their coaches are accustomed to. But Saban is a defensive coach. So we're not there listening to Nick Saban every day, but Urban Meyer can say, man, I don't know. Talk to Shiano. Saban doesn't get to say that. Yeah. Saban, this is Saban's defense. And so when Saban was going nuts after giving up 31 to Arkansas last week, and he was going nuts, um, that's him. This is an interesting quote, and this is how they quoted Nick Saban. I'm responsible for that. I, I, A I G H T in the story. Yeah, I don't know how he says that. I've never heard him say. It. Is that a thing? He says it like I. Yeah. I. Yeah. I'm responsible. I know how people say it. I don't know how, but so he does. That's you've yeah. heard him say. He's that? from West Virginia. Yeah. I'm responsible for that. I. <laughs> it's not quite like that. No. I. I'm responsible for that. I. Is it right? No. I'm responsible for that. You say this part. I'm responsible for that. All right. Oh, that was okay. But there's no R in there. It's an assumed R. There's a li- but if you listen to him, there's a little bit of an R. A little bit of an R yeah. and a little bit of an N. It's hard to write, but there's a little bit of an R in there. I'm responsible for that. All right. <laughs> we need to coach them better. We need to prepare them better. They need to be able to be able... They need to be able to make adjustments in the game better. When we see different things in a game, they've got to be able to play them on principle. And then after that, confidence that they can go do that. I just felt like we didn't do a good job of that. That's my fault. That's my responsibility. So the bottom line is, I think this is driving Urban Meyer nuts. I think it's driving Nick Saban more nuts. Yeah. I'm just going to look something up real quick. My my internet will work. Because that was that was an Arkansas team that is currently 82nd in offensive S and P per Bill Connolly that had 31 points and 400 something yards against Alabama's defense. Now some of that was at the end, but some of it was against the starters, and that's what he's upset about. It's uh yeah, they're uncomfortable for different reasons. Urban's uncomfortable because his team can't run the way that he's used to, and Nick Saban's uncomfortable because for the first time ever his offense is better than his defense. Um, but yeah, but and and the. They're fine. They're both fine. And I guess that's the point of this conversation. It's just that it's getting comfortable with something different that seems to be difficult for both coaches and both fan bases. The thing that makes me think this is interesting is we've gotten some pushback from listeners to the podcast and our Ohio State readers on the idea of don't excuse Ohio State's defense just because the offense is good. They're not mutually exclusive. Why can't you be good at both? Yet here we have the greatest defensive coach of his generation. Beyond being a great head coach, this guy still is out there teaching corner technique. 
Yeah. Greatest defensive coach of a generation has won five national titles with defense first teams. He has the best quarterback he's ever had, and it's not close. It's not close. And the defense isn't as good. So it leads me to wonder, is it mutually exclusive? Hmm. Because show me, somebody do it. Somebody go back and show me the championship team in the NFL or in college. Show me the championship team that was the best in the country on both sides of the ball. You're always a little better at something. And and it's not that you can be first in one thing and a hundredth in the other. But maybe this is some kind of proof that if it's happening to Saban, man, it must be happening everywhere. That great offense makes it more difficult to have great defense. Yes? Yeah, I think I think part of it is um the pace at which both offenses uh, offenses play, but probably more importantly the pace at which they score. Both teams score really fast. I know we've seen Ohio State slow down a little bit, but these defenses are on the field a lot because the offenses are so efficient. And I think that plays a factor and that's not that's not anything new. We've seen that play out plenty of places. That's why everyone thinks defense in the Big 12 sucks because the defenses are always on the field. Um, because these teams score so fast. So that's kind of the world that I think both teams are living in. Because um, ta- I don't like the talent level is a talent level. Ohio State and Alabama still recruit better than anybody. It's not like they've had significant downturns in their recruiting to make their defenses worse. I just think that the defenses are living in a different world because the offenses aren't – it's not um, reciprocal. Is that the right word? Maybe not. They're not playing off each other very well because yeah. the offenses are so good, and it, and it can leave the defense out to dry a little bit. But like, what's and I, there's another story this week. Like Nick Saban's like, we're not going to stop scoring so fast, right? And like, why would you? But it's just like, all right, so you got to give up a little something, and that means maybe your defense is a little more leaky than you're comfortable with because your offense is drastically improved from what it's been. But they're still absolutely 100% the best team in the country. Mm-hmm. There's not a person who would argue with that. For sure. Urban Meyer wouldn't argue with that. Yeah. And here Nick Saban is complaining. Alabama, and you said you looked up some numbers, right? I mean, I'm, I did, yes. Simplistically, Alabama is 25th in the country, giving up 332 yards per game. And Ohio State is 56th, giving up 365 yards per game. But as you and others have pointed out, Alabama has played Texas A&M and nobody else. Ohio State has played Penn State and TCU, and if Alabama had played Trace McSorley by now, they would be worse. They would be lower than 25th. So, but neither of them, but Alabama's used to be in first, man. Alabama's absolutely used to be in first. Yeah, so I looked up both like S&P numbers, like analytics numbers, and then just like straight rankings and stuff, because I know people like both. In S&P, efficiency-wise, offensively, Alabama's one, Ohio State is seven. Defensively, Alabama is seven. Ohio State is ten. Um, the difference for Ohio State, actually, no, both of them. Both defenses are giving up big plays. Ohio State has has given up more, like the explosion numbers against Ohio State's defense. Ohio State's ranked one twenty sixth. Um, it's an isolated points per play, which is the metric for explosive plays that they use. And Alabama's ranked eighty fifth, so neither of them are ranked high at all. But Al- or Ohio State's a little worse off. Um, but the offensive numbers are pretty similar. And then if you go to, like, straight rankings, like, per game stuff, um, offensive scoring is 56 to 49. Rushing, it's 222, 201. 
Passing is 345, 364. That's in favor of Ohio State. Total offense is 567, 565. That's the same. Yards per play, Alabama is nearly two yards better, which is significant, I think, but they throw a lot of deep balls. Red zone touchdown percentage is identical. Third down percentage, Alabama is 58%. Ohio State's 50%. And on the defensive side, um, Alabama is giving up 16 points per game. Ohio State's giving up 20. Alabama is allowing 134 rushing yards. Ohio State's allowing 143. Passing yards, Bama is giving up 197. Ohio State's 222. So there's a little bit of a gap there, but not significant. Total yardage is 332 to 365 in favor of Alabama. And yards per play is 4.9 to 5.4. And big plays, plays more than 20 yards. Alabama's given up 26, and Ohio State's given up 28. They're the same. And part of it, too, is what you're used to, right? That It's one of those things that's like you can listen to the fans sometimes. You can listen to the coaches sometimes. And you would think Alabama and Ohio State were giving up 40 every week. They're yeah. giving up 20. 16 and 20, yeah. And That's the thing about Ohio State. Like, Ohio State – has given up big plays, and like I get that they're not fun to see. They haven't given up a ton of points, and I think in the end, that's what matters. You know what I would like is a is some kind of metric of explosion, defensive explosion, the defensive explosion number, which is explosions you give up and explosions you create. Yeah. Because that is what we've talked about all year with the Ohio State defense. That all right, you gave up a th- if you give up a thirty-eight yard pass, but on the next play you get a strip sack and force a fumble. It's like who cares? So the the idea of like takeaways and and sacks that basically end drives because all of a sudden it was first and ten and now it's second and nineteen and they're dead. Um, you know, there, there, there's stuff in there that. That again, I, at this point, this is my 13th year covering Ohio State. By this point, I've heard every kind of complaint there is. So uh, the, I've heard complaints in the past when of like Ohio State giving up like too many little plays and letting teams drive down the field and giving up, you know, 14 play 78 yard drives, but they don't give up any big plays, but they let teams march. And now this Ohio State team doesn't really let anybody march, but every now and then someone goes 93 yards on one play. And 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 the idea is again that it's an offensive world, and there's nobody's shutting people out. I'm going to look that up. I don't. How many shutouts have there been? There used to be times I used to track. Oh, shut! I don't. Yeah, I don't. Ohio State used to shut out three people a year, three teams a year, two teams a year, at least. The height of the Silver Bullets in the Trestle era, they'd shut out at least two teams a year. Yeah, Bama hasn't. Bama's going up 14, 7, 7, 23, 14, and 31. The idea of a shutout anymore. And and the thing, too, with Ohio State is like, all right, well, they're giving up more points than you'd want. The most points they give up this year is to Oregon State. Oregon State stinks. They won by 46. Yeah. They gave up 31 to Oregon State when they could have given up 75 and still won. So they gave up 31. I don't know. Not great. What are you going to do? Did some of that came with guys who aren't normally playing in the game. And then Penn State, when they faced Trace McSorley in one of the better offenses in the country. 55 points per game. They gave up 26. Yeah. So so 31 against Oregon State's not great because Oregon State stinks. 26 against Penn State is actually really good. Yeah. Now, they probably should have scored more than 27 themselves, 
But that defense allowed an offense on a night when the offense didn't do anything for three quarters. The defense kept Ohio State in the game, which is the first thing Urban Meyer acknowledged when he hit the post-game news conference. And if Ohio State's defense truly was this awful defense that you can't rely on that is making Urban Meyer pull his hair out, they would have lost that game 42 to 27. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have won it 27 to 26. So so there's an idea of what are you measuring? What are you measuring? And I think sometimes um, – and you just did this with the S&P stuff. And, and, and I still lean on the raw numbers sometimes. Yeah. But I think everybody's smart enough now. It's like it's not – you can't just look at yards. You can't just look at points and say your defense stinks, your defense is good. There's a lot more that goes into it. And as we're seeing with Ohio State and Alabama, there is some kind of correlation between an offense and a defense that just makes it a little more difficult – to shut people out if you're scoring 50. Yeah, I wanted to look up because <clears throat> the point of S&P is, is to be predictive. It's not it's not really like – it's not like the AP rankings and it's not straight per game stuff. But the one thing it does is like give you the S&P rating, which is meant to like find, find what the difference between a theoretical game between the two teams would be. And right now Ohio State and Alabama are separated by like five points, which is not an insignificant gap. Are they number one and number two? No, Ohio State is number four. Alabama's one, Georgia, or Clemson's two, Georgia's three, Ohio State's four. Clemson stinks. And Bama's got a three-point clearance on everybody. Um, and I don't think either one of us is saying that, like, if Ohio State and Alabama play tomorrow, I think we both probably pick Alabama, and, and most people would. Like, that's the same thing to do. But it just feels like Ohio State's in a place right now with the fan base where people were like, oh, if we played Alabama, we'd lose by 50. And, like, I don't think that's true. I think we're we're getting a little bit of a bad read on a team that's one of the better offensive teams in the country, albeit doing it differently, and a defense that has been inconsistent but really good when it mattered most, and I think potentially very good by the end of the year with the talent they have. And you don't need to be worrying about Alabama's offense and what they're going to do to Ohio State until December, and there's a lot of time they get better before that. So I think that's – we're trying to illustrate that the gap is not – as wide as people want to make it out to be, and then by December it might not be, it might not exist at all. And I do think the point that has been made many places is that Alabama hasn't really played anybody. So it's the best team, the best opponent it's played according to S and P is Texas A and M, which is ranked seventeenth, um, and then Ole Miss is ranked thirty ninth, and Penn State is seventh, and TCU is thirty sixth for comparison's sake. Arkansas State, they won 57-7. to Arkansas State stinks. Louisville is another fraudulent Nick Saban scheduling genius game. They have a decent name because Lamar Jackson went there, and they used to be good one time. They stink. Their coach stinks. They're a bunch of frauds. They're awful. 51-14. Ole Miss. Ole Miss stinks. Ole Miss, who's their coach? They don't even have a coach. Their coach got uh, – their coach Matt, Matt Luke. No, but who's the guy The guy got fired? He's Hugh selling Freeze. popsicles. Hugh Freeze. He's a cheater. He's a liar and a cheater and a fraud, and 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 that program's in disarray. 62-7. There was a time when they cheated their way to beat Alabama because all the recruiting stuff they did. 62-7. to <laughs> They stink. Indiana would beat Ole Miss. I think Indiana might beat Ole Miss, yeah. So Indiana's not as high on the S&P, but Indiana's like a four-win team that has a good coach and knows what to do. I mean, Indiana is is 55th. I mean, respectable. 
Texas A&M, whatever. Who's the coach there? Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher. Fisher. He's making ten Money chaser, awful. Yeah. ULL, all. What's all? What's all? Louisiana Lafayette. That's not a thing. Is that a thing? Yeah. They're ranked 103rd in the country. That's Stink. Yep. They're the Rutgers of the of the Bayou. The Rutgers of the Bayou. Make a T-shirt out of that. What's that company that makes the fancy T-shirts for all the schools? They do. It's like Smack Talk T-shirts, right? You ever see that? It's like they always. Oh yeah. Does that yeah. still exist? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. They should make a Smack Talk. Whoever Ole's rival is, they should make a shirt that says Louisiana Lafayette. Rutgers of the Bayou, and that's an insult to Louisiana Lafayette. Um, Arkansas stinks. Brett Bielema, horrible. Where's he? He's He doesn't even coach anymore. Brett Bielema is uh, with the Patriots? Champion. So listen, so they all stink, and the thing of it is, is uh, they only have, they have three ranked teams left in their last six. LSU, Mississippi State, and Auburn. They but, play a decent Missouri team this week. Which will be more of an indication. Yeah. But I, but Ohio State, at, by the end of the year, I think Ohio State's 12-game... Do you think Ohio State's 12-game regular season is more difficult than Alabama's 12-game regular season? Yes. Playing Penn State. Penn State is the best team that either of them is going to play. Yeah. And Ohio State did it on the road. Actually, depend, depending on what... what metric you want to use like Michigan's fifth in S&P welcome back to the Michigan bandwagon <laughs> Bill Landis I don't want to be on that bandwagon by myself after I picked Michigan to make the playoff and they lost to Notre Dame but they might be coming I mean they almost lost to Northwestern yeah 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 but everybody almost loses to Northwestern <laughs> yeah they're weird it depends what kind of game you get depends yeah. what kind of what kind of game plan they have I think they're starting to figure some stuff out offensively. The defense it, has always been good. It's taking them a little too long to figure it out, but I don't know if you know this. Ohio State-Michigan, always the season finale. I did know that, yeah. So anyway, like, uh, Auburn's a fraud. Is Auburn a fraud? Auburn loses to everybody. Who Auburn just lost again, right? Auburn just lost to Mississippi State, I think. Yeah. So Alabama, uh, according to S&P, does not play a top-10 team all year in Ohio State. Currently is scheduled to play two. Okay. So then Alabama's going to have to play somebody in the SEC championship, but... Most likely Georgia, yeah. So uh, all I'm saying is... Or Kentucky. That'd be weird. Can you imagine? Oh, man. That's got a good DM. Really? For a story that I'm not going to write for Cleveland.com. <laughs> yep. Oh, wait. No, yeah, I am. I am writing this one for Cleveland.com. The quarterback recruiting thing. I get my, I'm getting my stuff mixed up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you working on one? Are you working on a story right now? I'm not working for the future. I have, I have not. I am lining up interviews for next week that I don't want to do now because I don't think that's right. Yeah. Okay. But is that they're going to talk to you this week for this one? Yes. Nice. Yeah. The number one quarterback in the 2021 class. Nice. Do you have to call him right now? No. What were we talking about? Alabama. Alabama, I think, because the the thing that, in the end, the reason everybody's worried is they're worried about if we're doing this against bad teams, what are we going to do against good teams, right? It's it's trying to do what the S&P rankings do, which is be predictive of the future. And that's what worries fans, and that's what worries these coaches, too. That Nick Saban's saying, God, we gave up 31 to Arkansas. I know we won. But the reason I'm worried about, I'm being worried about 
31 to Arkansas is, well, what's that mean about what Joe Burrow is going to do against us? Yeah. And what's that mean about what Jarrett Stidham is going to do against us? If this guy from Arkansas... Or Drew Locke. Mr. Or Drew Locke. So, so do you think, knowing what you know about Ohio State and knowing what you know about Alabama, and what we know about Alabama is almost nothing, mm-hmm. is that a reasonable fear? Fear of the future that Ohio State's worried about what Shea Patterson's going to do and what Brian Lewerke's going to do and what Jeff Brom Magic's going to do. Is that a reasonable fear or is it more like, you know what, we get it. We gave up 31 to Oregon State or we gave up 31 to Arkansas. But when it matters, we're fine. We're going to be fine. Stuff happens. But, but I don't know. My guess at the moment, I just don't feel like. Alabama and Ohio State might lose. Of course they might lose. Anybody can lose. Yep. But I, I don't know that either of them should feel like we're not going to get where we want to go. We're not going to make the playoff because of our defenses. Even though this is driving us nuts. I don't know that, that that's what the feeling should be. They might lose because everybody might lose, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe they'll lose because it's just like the other team plays really well and you, and you lose like a, you lose 31-28 in a good football game. I don't know that they're going to lose because – Drew Locke throws eight touchdown passes and, and Alabama gets blown off the field. Or they're going to lose because Dwayne Haskins throws for 400 yards and Shea Patterson throws for 500. And no matter what Dwayne Haskins does, he can't overcome this Ohio State defense that can't stop anybody. And Michigan just scores a touchdown in every possession and Ohio State loses 56-52. Like, it doesn't I, seem like a rational fear to me. No, I, I would not be afraid of that. I would be afraid of losing a good game to a good team, which I guess is possible against Michigan. <clears throat> um, they might give us some stuff to Purdue. Purdue's got some players and a good offensive-minded coach who I don't even know what their schedule is. I don't think they're coming off a bye. But, but Jeff Brown might have something for Ohio State that gives them a little bit of trouble. But I just I feel like I've seen enough against TCU and Penn State to, to think that while the first half might look ugly and they might give up some plays, that they're going to get it figured out by the end. And I, I would feel that same way playing against anybody. And now the talent of the other team matters. Like TCU's offense is probably not as good as we thought it would be. Um, but Penn State might have one of the best offenses in the country, and they held them 26 points. Like I don't think that was a fluke. I think they got helped a little bit by James Franklin's play calling. Um, but that's just stuff that happens throughout the game. I thought that defense made a lot of plays against Penn State and, and was it was – Defensive line took over the game again late like they did last year, and it was a good offense last year too. So um, I am not – I would not have a fear that Ohio State's defense is going to get smoked by somebody. You might get into a shootout if you're playing a good offense like in Alabama or in Michigan if Michigan gets it figured out by that point. But I, I, don't, I don't have any fear that Ohio State's defense is going to keep it from doing what it wants to do. And the thing is is that uh, when you play this game – and this is really more for the fan. I don't, maybe the coaches do it to some degree. But here's the thing, right? So if I'm sitting here saying, don't worry about it. You'll be fine, right? When Ohio State wins, I guess I can say, see, mm-hmm. they beat Minnesota. They beat Nebraska. They beat Purdue. They beat Michigan State. They beat Maryland. Yeah, they gave up some points. But they won 52 to 21. Maybe you're upset about the 21, but you're nuts, whatever. They'll be fine. But nobody takes that as proof. Right. Because when I say don't worry, when they win, everyone's like, well, they were supposed to win. And then if they happen to lose, and if they do lose, they're not going to lose 10-3. 
If they do lose, they're going to lose to a team that scores some points. So if they somehow lose, which teams lose all the time, Urban Meyer went undefeated in his first two regular seasons and hasn't gone undefeated since, there's a very good chance they're not going to go undefeated. And as soon as they lose to somebody, this podcast, the Twitter timelines, the emails are going to be filled with people saying, I told you so. I told you this defense wasn't good enough. I knew it was going to come back and bite him in the butt. I knew this was a problem when actually it's just going to be football because going 12 and 0 is really hard. So I'm telling you now, if you are just complaining now so that if they lose to Michigan State 31 27, you can send me a tweet that says, ha ha, Doug, you were wrong. I'm not accepting your tweet. I'm deleting your account. I'm closing down the email, and I'm going in a little tunnel because that's not what this is about. This is not about complaining about your winning team through 11 wins so that if they lose once, you can act like you were right. Because in the meantime, so if they go 12-0, and then what? Then I'm right, but if they go 11-1, and I'm wrong. I'm yeah. wrong. That Listen, teams lose. Well, what, would have to, what would have to happen for us to be wrong? Because like last year... The defense clearly struggled beginning of the year against Oklahoma, and we just thought, like, well, any team with a decent tight end is going to throw all over Ohio State. And then they played Mike Kosicki and Penn State, and, like, that didn't happen, and they were pretty good that game. And then they played Iowa, and, like, all the problems we thought were fixed resurfaced. Is, like, something like that proof that we're not right about this defense? Or, like, what, what does it have to be for people to people's current fears to be warranted? Um... To be honest, whatever happens, I'm going to spin it to make yeah, it sound yeah, like course, I'm right and course. they're wrong. Yeah. Don't tell them that. No, no. Uh, I mean, I mean, I guess it, it would it would have to be, you know, them giving up multiple big plays in a game that that caused them to lose. That like otherwise, like they're the best team on the field, but. The three they gave up three big touchdowns that caused them to lose 31-28 when twenty-one of the points came on three seventy-yard plays. And it was like, man, you, you were fine otherwise, but you just never fixed this Achilles heel. Yeah. And it ab- absolutely cost you a game because if a safety would have made a tackle on one of those two of those seventy yard things and held it to 30, you would have won. I mean, that kind of thing. But I'm not gonna accept like I didn't predict them to go undefeated. You didn't predict them to go undefeated. Right. So like I'm just telling you you have a good team. So I'm not going to accept blame if they lose because for now I'm telling you they have a good team. And I'm telling you that it's an offensive age. And I'm telling you that yes you give up big plays but also you create big plays. And I'm telling you that if you're going to throw for 445 yards and gain 609 yards of total offense, you're not going to shut somebody out. So I'm not going to accept like ha ha you were wrong if they lose to Purdue 35-28. Yeah. Because part of it's just football. And I promise that I will not ha-ha you. Because that's the thing. You're a fan. I don't care what they do. You do care. I'm telling you they're good. You're telling me all the problems they have. So what am I like? I'm not going to be like, ha-ha. They were 12-0. and You were wrong. Fan who wants them to be 12-0. and Yeah. I'm just telling you, like, like, understand. It's just a reminder of understand how good your team is because the best team in the country that you constantly are trying to compare yourself to is actually experiencing the exact same thing right now. And one of the points you made this week is like the idea that, and we talked about it in the postgame podcast, the idea that like, oh, Alabama wouldn't let this happen against Indiana. 
after we dug into this a little bit. I think they might have. It, yeah. Like it did. Arkansas yeah. is the Indiana. It's worse than Indiana. Of Woo Pig Suey country. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and Arkansas offensively is, is actually a little worse than Oregon State. Um, and it happened. So I like the, the the question that always seems to pop up is like, can you imagine what Alabama's going to do to Ohio State's defense? Like, well, can you imagine what Ohio State's going to do to Alabama's defense? Like, it goes both ways. Yeah, they do not have an answer for Dwayne Haskins. I don't think they do. All right, do we make our point? I don't know. Maybe I always feel like we never do, but then people keep listening. So, yeah. I'm trying to, I gotta be a gentler, uh, I gotta gentle up. This is my last podcast where I can just scream all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether that means I should get the screaming out or whether I should start practicing the like, hey, that's a good point, reader, listener. Good point. Let's have a discussion together about how we all think about this in different ways, but it doesn't make anyone wrong. All our opinions are valid. Sounds like a boring podcast. You know what's not boring, Bill Landis? ShopOhioState.com, the website for the Ohio State University Barnes and Noble bookstore. Guess what they got? They got new stuff in. You go to ShopOhioState.com right now. Big top of the page, the latest game day gear with a big football. Ooh, they got a whole thing, fall favorites, shop sweats. That's what I'm talking about. You want to get in there at ShopOhioState.com, the Ohio State University Barnes and Noble bookstore. Right there on High Street in Columbus. Beautiful place. Go check it out. But if you can't get there in person, you want to go to the website because they've got new stuff. They got this new, uh, they got this new Ohio State cap that has like a beaded buckeye leaf on the brim. It's kind of subtle, but it's really cool. Um, top of the world pitted hat, it's called. Check that out. They got the sweat selection. Love the sweat selection for the fall. Lots of people think it's the best time of the year for wearing stuff. Look at this. I got the Nike, the Nike, the Nike loose fit tailgate top. Scarlet sleeves, like a dark gray shoulder, OSU across the chest, um, really sharp tailgate attire. They, they've got everything for everyone. They got a lot of hoodies. They got a lot of sweatpants. They have jerseys. They have rugs. Ooh. They got a mascot mat online only. You can put Brutus on your bathroom floor. <coughs> mascot mat online only. Brutus's head. Looking for a unique rug to decorate your home or office with? I'm thinking bathroom. I'm thinking in there, in the reflective moments of your day, Brutus right in there with you. Yeah, but it's got to be, <clears throat> is it water absorbent? Let me look. It's non-skid recycled vinyl. Oh, perfect. Machine washable. Perfect. Allows 7 to 10 business days for shipping. That is a mascot map that you need to have in your home. You choose the room in your home, but get it for your home. Um, they got an Ohio State suitcase. They got Ohio State uh, laptop sleeves, Ohio State phone wallet. Listen, if you want it, shopohiostate.com has it. They were the first sponsor of the Buckeye Talk podcast. We will forever be in their debt. So make sure when you're thinking about something Think about buying something Ohio State. We know you guys who are listening are always thinking about Ohio State. When you're in the buying mood, you have to check out shopohiostate.com from the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore. Shopohiostate.com for the best Ohio State gear and apparel. 
James Sampson, gone. Samson James. Samson James, gone. What's up? Uh, Did like, they still want him, or were they Yeah, okay? like, he changed his mind. It was really bizarre. He was here for the Indiana game, and then after the Indiana game, he's like, see some stuff on Twitter, and then Steve Wiltfong from 247 Sports flipped his crystal ball from Ohio State to Indiana, and then later Sunday afternoon, Samson James just, like, didn't decommit, just announced the flip to Indiana, and I think it was just a change of heart. Ohio, I, I, as far as I know, it was absolutely not a case of Ohio State like moving on to somebody else because they don't have like another slam dunk running back running back option that that's out there. They have guys they like and those guys they'll go after now. Um, but I think they wanted Samson James and he decided he wanted to go somewhere else. So is this what happens? So that's a kid from Indiana mm-hmm. who comes to Ohio Stadium to witness in person Ohio State Indiana, and he's watching his home state team hang around. It's twenty eight twenty. Halftime, hang around, and then Ohio State pulls away in the end, and that kid from Indiana is watching that thinking, man, look at those Hoosiers fight. (laughs) Maybe I could be the guy who puts my home state over the top so that someday when when Ohio State hosts Indiana, the Hoosiers walk out of here with the win. They've lost 24 straight to Ohio State now, but that kid... Urban Meyer, when he recruits Ohio kids, says, make the great state of Ohio proud. And when Urban Meyer recruits out-of-state kids, he says, turn your back on your home state and come here. (laughs) That kid wants to make the great state of Indiana proud. And watching Ohio State, Indiana, locked it in for him. That I don't want to be on the side of the winner. I want to be on the side of the fighter who I can help them get over the top. What a magical experience for him in the horseshoe. Yeah, and I don't know Indiana's depth chart situation, but it's probably a little easier for me to get on the field there, too. So, here's the thing. I think it's a great decision by the kid. Because yeah, guess what he's going to do? Play a lot. Get the ball like 800 times in his career. Yeah. Guess what he would have done here? Maybe. Sat for two years and transferred? Yeah. Or maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what how good the kid is. But this is the Antonio Williams should have gone to Wisconsin argument. There are some kids who come to Ohio State that Ohio State is a wonderful place. It wasn't the right place for them because they're not going to get past J.K. Dobbins. And they're not going to get past Master Teague. And they're not going to get past whatever kid they have coming in the recruiting class behind him. And you know what? If you can go to Indiana and be the dude, that's not Ohio State. That's a pretty good option. And I I I think sometimes kids get caught up in it. Some kids, I mean, everybody, all 85 guys in the roster want to start. 22 start at a time. That's 63 who don't start at a time. And then, you know what would be an interesting thing? Just to look back at a roster, like the 2014 Ohio State roster, of the 85 guys who won a national championship, how many of them started at some point in their Ohio State career? Hmm. And how many of those guys walked away with the ring but never started for Ohio State? You know what I mean? Because, like... Of those 63 guys that aren't starting, there's a handful that's like, well, you're just not starting yet. Right. You're definitely going to start at some point. Josh Myers is not starting for Ohio State right now. He's going to start at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of these kids. There's 40 of these kids who are never going to start. So that doesn't mean you shouldn't come here. doesn't mean you shouldn't come here and believe in yourself and think you can start. But I'm never going to think that a kid who would be in that 40 – a kid in that 40, if he decides to go to a lesser school to be the man, good call. I'm not saying Ohio State's a bad call, 
But Samson James, good call, man. Good luck to you. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And there's a lot of guys that Ohio State gets in that situation. There are always obvious ones. You're like, oh yeah, that kid's going to start and play a lot, and he'll be here in three years and he'll go. But there's a lot of guys in the middle who, whatever, it's their decision, and you respect it either way. But um, in terms of you know getting on the field earlier and having more of a role, good choice, I think. Yeah, and they'll find somebody. I mean, it's not like Ohio State's not going to be able to get a running back, but. Like, yeah, like it might be so. Like the the two for now for twenty ninth, like they have Steel Chambers committed still from Georgia, who I think still might end up being a linebacker, um, but he's currently committed as a running back. And they'll go after Noah Kane, who's at IMG Academy, is originally from Texas, I believe. And there's another kid from Texas named DeAndre Glass, who I think has has become very important now because of Samson James decommitting. But you know they might not get either of them. I don't think either one of those guys is a slam dunk, and maybe they'll reassess and go get a lesser recruited guy, or maybe they don't take anybody at all. And if you missed on running back in 2019, but you have J.K. Dobbins for one more year, you have Master Teague and Brian Sneed, you have one committed already for 2020, you get another good one in 2020, and I think you're fine. Yeah. Who's the one for 2020? Darvon Hubbard, who is originally from Akron, but is now playing in Scottsdale with Jack Miller. Okay. So, yeah, they're fine. They'll be okay. But I think I think Samson James will be okay too. So good luck to him. Uh, eighth, you voted Ohio State eighth in the, the preseason in the basketball poll. poll. I did, and I was mostly like, I have no idea what to expect based on the fact that they were voted eleventh last year and finished second, and like there's a whole lot of unknown in this team. So I just put them in the middle. Way to cop out. <laughs> a lot of people did though. If you had to guess, so say that this poll is exactly right. And the Big Ten shakes out 1 through 14 the way it's predicted. Mm-hmm. Ohio State at 8. Are they in the tournament? I think they could be. You think the, like we've the seen Big Ten, the, the Big Ten has, got, has gotten 8 in the past. And I feel like a lot of years, like 7 is the expected number. Um, the league was not very good last year. Uh, I think it's potentially very good in, in like 9 or 10 teams deep this year. So I think the 8th team in the Big Ten can definitely get into the tournament. So you think the league is, overall is better than a year ago? I think the league is better, yeah. So what you're saying is second last year and eighth this year would basically be the same because the league's yeah. so much better. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. Plus Ohio State, and who knows what will happen, but Ohio State plays uh, Creighton and it plays Syracuse and it plays UCLA and Cincinnati in the non-conference. And I'm not saying they're going to win all those games, but there's opportunity to help yourself in the non-conference even if the Big Ten is more difficult than it was last year. Well, that's one of those things. Like The difference the difference between going 8th in the Big Ten and going 0-4 against Creighton, Syracuse, who'd you say? Creighton, Syracuse, UCLA, and Cincinnati. And going 0-4 against them and finishing 8th in the Big Ten and going 3-1 and against them is absolutely the difference between making the tournament and not making the tournament. For sure, yeah. That 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 conference finish is only part of the equation, especially when it seems like Holtman is boosting the non-conference schedule a little bit. That's his plan, yeah, moving forward. I think uh, whatever – this is tough. Um, most like because Cincinnati is a, a true road game. Creighton's a true road game. Um, UCLA is in Chicago. I think he'd like to have one of those at home maybe. But I think in terms of talent, caliber of opponent, this is mostly what you're going to see moving forward. Interesting fact about Creighton. They offer high schoolers thousands of dollars to play for them. Yeah, and then they don't go there. (laughs) Yeah, and they don't go there. Also, interesting fact about Creighton. That coach was offered the Ohio State job. He was. Yeah. Supposedly. Supposedly. 
I said it wrong on purpose to be funny. The that would be interesting if he was here right now and this uh, testimony was coming out. Yeah, all this is from testimony in the FBI NCAA corruption trial that is currently taking place in New York, I believe, and that really nobody is paying attention to. Yeah, but their dad for Brant. Now, what's the guy's name? Brian Bowen. Brian Bowen. The dad for Brian Bowen is just like listing college programs that offered thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon dollars for his son to go there and Creighton was one of them. It was like, I don't know if that was like, did I, that make me respect Creighton <laughs> or did I just shake my head at Creighton or it, well, there's, I, there's no good that's going to come of that. All that's going to happen is like, you're going to spend a lot of money, not get the kid and then possibly get caught and not getting a kid you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Or I mean, even, I don't know. Coaches get fired on wins and losses if you're like getting a kid only because you paid him, and otherwise he would have no, it's like, why did Brian Bowen pick Creighton? He had offers from 50 schools that were better than Creighton. And it's like, because they offered the most money. And then he gets there and he's like, I don't want to be in Nebraska. Yeah. I don't know anything about Omaha. <laughs> and then, like, are you, is that really going to work? Like, you think that's going to like save your program? Yeah. Or whatever. But that would be interesting if that guy, Steve McDermott, what's his name? Bruce? Uh, Dan? Greg. Greg. Doug's dad. Mr. McBuckets. Mr. <laughs> Coach McBuckets. Coach McDollar sign. If that guy, allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly. No, but if it's, you don't have to say allegedly if a guy said it in court, right? I mean, you can lie under oath. People have done that before. What? Anyway, that would be, if he was the Ohio State head coach right now, you'd be asking a lot of questions. It'd be a pain in the butt to ask, but you'd be yeah. happy to ask him. Yeah. <laughs> Coach McBuckets. <clears throat> All right. All right, I all right, I art. Let's go to all right. Let's go to questions. Art. Okay. Uh, when are you doing Minuteman? Because I wanted to, I wanted to list off the prices for Minuteman tickets. Yeah, like in twelve minutes. Okay. Uh, a lot of the questions were about linebackers and run game, which is not surprising. So, in no particular order, at bracket creeping. Bracket creeping. Seems like one of the key ways teams without running quarterbacks effectively run the ball is with RPOs, with slants and bubble screens built off the run game. Are we running that often? If not, why so few RPOs? Um, they're definitely running bubble screens off of this stuff. And I think when you see the last couple games when the run game has opened up a little bit more in the second half, I think it's because they're building, building bubble screens off of this stuff. And when Paris Campbell takes a bubble screen 50 yards, that helps the run game. Um, there have been, at least from what I can recall, there, there's been less of the RPO, like backside slant kind of stuff that Penn State did a few times. We saw Oklahoma do a lot last year. I thought there'd be more of that in the offense, and I don't know why there isn't. I think there's still some, but I just thought there'd be more. Um, there, Dwayne Haskins is talking on Tuesday, and he said, someone has said, again, like, how's the offense different? And he said, well, all the, all the passes we're building off the run game are different, whether that's straight play action or RPO or whatever. Um, I think they could do more. I think because – and the, the what it comes down to with the running game, I think, is you just have to keep throwing. Keep throwing and keep throwing until teams stop putting seven guys on a line of scrimmage against your run game. Yep. And um, as much as they're throwing the ball, I think they're not doing it enough, especially in those, like, obvious run situations. So they're doing it to answer the question. They are doing it. I think they could do it a little more. <clears throat> if when they threw the bubble screens, they threw them a half yard backward. 
So those plays went down in the stats as runs instead of passes. Would people feel better about the run game, even though nothing would have changed other than a pass that was a half yard forward was a half yard backward? No, I don't think so. I think the stat the stats would look different, but I think people are smart enough to know that it's not quite the same. But what is someone texted me this week to ask about why don't they like run tosses and run wide and stuff? And I just said like that's not what they're ever going to do. If oh, gonna, I think it's a good question. I think they need to start doing some of that. But 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 they're not going to they're just they're not going to line up. How often are they just going to run a toss like out of the shotgun? Well, the problem part of the back? problem is, and like this isn't this is from people who know more about X's and O's than I do. Like Ross Fulton at Buckeye Grove was writing about this, and Kyle Jones at Eleven Warriors are writing about this. The defensive lines are slanting away from the running back, which is often like the direction like, the running back comes across the formation, takes the ball, and like he's running into the direction the defensive line is slanting. And I think it was Ross Fulton that said, like, well, if you just line up like you line up, and instead when that defensive line slants, you throw a quick pitch the other way. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the kind of stuff I think they need to start doing. Misdirection. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, misdirection is always good. They don't do that at all. No, I guess not. But, they run but, some counter. And a counter has probably been their most effective running play, actually. But the idea of, like, running wide, they they get wide with bubble screens and jet sweeps. I think they need to run more jet sweeps, yeah, right? I think they do too. That, that it was. I feel like it's happened the last three years. Like the first game, like yeah, the jet sweeps back, and then like the jet sweep dies. Yeah, and I don't know what that is. No, I don't know what that is. Got to get the ball on the edge with some of these guys. Yeah. To, so to get to get to get these guys outside is is good. I just, I mean, you have to understand what they are. I don't. It's kind of happened on both sides of the ball because I'm finishing a story now that'll be up soon, just about the idea of like, hey, you know, should they. Should they back off some of the press man coverage that they put the corners on islands and, and if the corners can't quite handle it, should they adjust what they do? And, and Tabor Johnson was just saying, like, this is who we are. Yeah. Like, it's not changing. And so, so to look and to say, well, Ohio State needs to just like completely revamp what they do. Now, of course, you want to look, as you said, you can, you can run some misdirection pitches, um, to keep a defense honest a little bit more. But they're not going to fundamentally change who they are. I mean, like, they're not going to add things into their playbook that aren't there right now. Yeah. So, And there are plays to get the ball. They're, like, they, they've, they're running outside zone, um, some sweeps. The tight end blocking has been pretty poor. Like, the guy on the end of the line who you're expecting to seal things off so you can get those plays out wide has been pretty poor. And, like, for as much as we talk about the receivers blocking – they do a really good job of blocking on these bubble screens. I think their blocking on run plays when they're on the edge too and they have to seal up the perimeter has been inconsistent as well. So like it's not just it's not it's not that they're calling the wrong plays. I think like a lot I think a decent amount of this is like execution and they're blocking on the perimeter on some of these outside runs has not been great. You know what? I'm gonna add that to my list. I have now three positions on the list of <clears throat> they've been really good at those positions in the past and maybe it's not that the guys who are there now aren't good it's just they're not as good tight end tight end yeah tight end blocking specifically Mm -hmm. so add that to corner add that to the guards and add now it's tight end and the idea of like well when you had malik hooker oh i'm safety and the and the and the deep safety four and linebacker and linebacker Linebacker, not as much. Linebacker is all coaching. Uh, but like, it's like, oh, why isn't your deep safety doing this? Well, because your deep safety is not Billy Cooker. Why aren't your corners doing this? Well, because your corners aren't Marshawn Lattimore, Denzel Ward, and Gary Conley. Why aren't your tight ends doing this? Because your tight ends aren't Jeff Hireman and Nick Vanette. 
why aren't your guards doing this? Because your guards aren't Pat Affleck and Billy Price. Like, they are talented. They are talented. But there are spots on this field where they regularly have had guys who were either all Big Ten, All-American type players or and or were future high NFL draft choices. And right now, you know, corners, deep safeties, tight ends, guards, they're not – Jordan Fuller's really good. And we've talked a million times about the way they're using Jordan Fuller and he's kind of moved around or whatever, but they're not as good. And it's just that, you know, they had a couple guys there. Malik Hooker's generational. Those corners are generational. Billy Price and Pat Alfine at guard are generational. And then Hireman and Vinette both went in the third round, man. Maybe Jeremy Ruckert's going to go in the third round. He wouldn't go in the third round if he won the draft this year as a true freshman. He would not. So, you know, and nobody, Rashad Berry and, and Luke Farrell are not third-round draft picks right now. It doesn't mean they're bad players. There are just some realities in place here that they're not as good at some things they used to be good at, and it's because the players they have there aren't as good. And I don't mean to be simplistic, but sometimes sometimes that's what it is. And at Ohio State, it's not going from good to bad. It's going from great to good. But some of what's showing up, to me, is just that. Yeah, I think that's true. Sorry, I was distracted. There's a there's some uh, Zach Harrison scuttlebutt on Twitter about a possible Ohio State visit today. Oh. Uh, question from uh, this person's Twitter name. You don't watch Impractical Jokers, do you? I don't. I watch. No offense to you. Did you touch your favorite show? I just. It's it's good to put on in the background. I watched like a YouTube clip of it the other day. Maybe it's because. Or do you have the Ohio State, our Ohio State yeah, YouTube, on YouTube thing yeah, on, yeah, yeah. as your like YouTube link it's, or whatever? Sometimes, yeah. Because I was looking at that, and then it was like other videos you might like, yeah, and it was four hundred impractical yeah, Joker yeah. videos. Yeah. And I looked at them, and I didn't think they were that funny. Oh, I think they're funny. I think it's really funny. But my girlfriend thinks it's really dumb. So well, maybe maybe I'm a jackass. They were having a guy cut hair, and they were like, put combs in the person's hair. Yeah, some of it's just stupid, and some of it is very clearly just like these. Only these four guys find this funny. Yeah, but then other times it's hilarious. Anyway, there's they do a game where they put them in, they make them a secretary, and then like have people there for a focus group, and they have to announce stupid names, and then like not laugh when they announce the name, and if you laugh, you lose. Yeah, and one of the names uh, that they give one of the guys, I forget which one it is, is one Damien Crucifix Plate, <laughs> and that's this person's Twitter name. <laughs> uh, so one Damien Crucifix Plate asks. When Chris Ash gets fired in a few weeks, will Urban hire him, him on staff? Also, what are your thoughts on donut holes versus whole donuts? Oh. Uh, that's a tough question, the second one. I think I like a whole donut. Well, here's I mean, my... the same thing. Well, here's the thing. I w- now, this I would be very interested in the donut hole-making process. Because, first of all, my favorite donuts don't have holes. Yeah. Because they have cream in the middle. Yep. What book are we on? <laughs> That's two separate book titles, by yeah. the way. And so, uh, cream in the middle. Um, Accidental Dong could be the, the final chapter also. Yeah. When our romantic lead uh, leaves the person of their dreams to go open up a strip club <laughs> named Accidental Dong. Um, so... Just like the thing, like with muffin tops, right? Mm-hmm. 
as a donut hole, I'm assuming at some point, truly a donut hole was what was left when you made a hole in a donut. Yeah. But certainly today a donut hole is not what's left. It's a it's a separate process. Separate thing, yeah. So it's it's a it's a lie. You're being lied to when you get a donut hole cuz it's not the hole of anything. It's just a ball. Yeah. But donut ball book 52 <laughs> doesn't sound as good. So I'm a bit offended by the name donut hole because it's a fraudulent process, but I would be interested to to go in and watch how they make it. But I like the whole donut yeah. Well, I don't even know how many places call them donut holes anymore. Like, Dunkin' Donuts calls them munchkins, and Tim Hortons calls them Timbits, and I don't know if there's any other place in America that sells donuts. Colloquially, they're called a donut hole. Right. Like, the... Right. The... Probably the donut hole is in the dictionary, and then the brand name is Munchkin or Timbits or whatever. But maybe in some of the smaller places, they actually are the center part of the donut cutout. Maybe. I... See, that would excite me. If, if someone said, watch us make this donut, and then they cut a hole in it, and, like, the hole fell on the floor. I want to pick up the hole and put it in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the first part of the question was, when Chris Ash gets fired in a few weeks, oh. will Urban hire him? I tweeted something during the Indiana game. I said, like, uh, the last time Urban Meyer had to revamp his defense, he hired Chris Ash. And the good news is Chris Ash will soon be available again. And then I got, like, a million tweets, like, his buyout's too expensive. Rutgers isn't going to fire him. Like, I was mostly joking. Yeah. Um. I have no idea what Chris Ash's buyout is, but he's lost to Buffalo and Illinois and Kansas, so he should be fired. Yeah. And when he's fired, Urban Meyer should hire him if yeah. he wants to coach again. Yeah. So I don't know what the deal is. I don't know. Rutgers doesn't have any money, I guess. I don't know. I get that. But if you want to be taken seriously at all as a football program, you should have fired Chris Ash three weeks ago. Well, and that's the one thing is I, I know they don't have money to pay a buyout, whatever. It's like, but can you afford to not fire him? Yeah. If like the six people who give money to Rutgers football are like, I'm not giving you another penny until this guy is gone, then it might be even if you have to pay the buyout. Or even if I mean even if even if you have to pay off the full contract, yeah. if you owe him eight million dollars or something, then then that's that might be worth it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like if Shiano leaves, right? I mean that's the thing is they're going to be a spot, you know. Like if if Shiano goes to be a head coach, and you need a new defensive coordinator, he'd be very qualified for that. He would be really yeah. qualified, and I do. I don't think Urban would hesitate to do it because Chris Ash was very upfront. The thing that stands out to Chris Ash to me is the first time we talked to him when he was hired after the 2013 season. We talked to him, I think, around signing day in 2014, and they brought him out as part of that. And he was talking about being a head coach that very first time we yeah. talked to him, and that he—that's where I think we came up with the idea of Urban Meyer finishing school a little bit. That he was like, "I came here to work for Urban Meyer because I want to be a head coach." So he came here, he put in the time that Urban asked of him, and then he went to be a head coach. The Chris Ash plan worked, but in the meantime, he helped Ohio State win a national championship. Undoubtedly, if you want to make a list of like the twenty most important people to the two thousand fourteen national championship, Chris Ash's. Ab- be a good slideshow. Bi week slideshow. Twenty most important people to the two thousand fourteen Ohio State National Championship and where are they now? Sounds interesting. I'd read that. Maybe the new guy can do that. Okay, so <laughs> the that idea, I mean, like he was incredibly valuable here, and I don't think he burned any bridges, like with the way he left or no, anything, I don't think right? So. Yeah. so I think it's sort of like fun and silly to like talk about, except like totally possible. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. And I also think it's possible that his replacement at Rutgers is Greg Schiano. Which we, I mean, you brought that up like a month ago on yeah. this podcast. And it's like, maybe it was a quite Totally possible. I don't know. I don't know how that would have, like, if that was, if, that, if, <coughs> if Chris Ash is fired, why, why wouldn't they hire Shiano and why would Shiano say no? No reason to no reason. Yeah, okay. Like Steve Politi from from NJ.com, who's the columnist there, who I think is great and like keeps – he sets Rutgers on fire. The Yankees lose. He yeah. sets the Yankees on fire. He tweeted something the other day that like if they let go of Ash, who's your dream hire? Like parentheses other than Shiano. And it's like I understand why he's saying other than Shiano, except why do you have – why does there have to be a number two on right. that list? Right. Because I think number one might take it. And and the idea is if if this blew up with Tennessee and Greg Schiano, right? And if Greg Schiano has any belief that that might happen again somewhere else where he's just a name and a resume and the fan base doesn't know him, if he has some belief of that or some fear of it, even if there's a 10% chance, I don't want to go through that again, Rutgers would welcome him back as a hero. Mm-hmm. And he liked it there. And the one thing is, and that came up during Rutgers week this year, that he said thing. his goal was to get Rutgers into the Big Ten – I think on a list of 10 people who are responsible for getting records in the Big Ten, also a great slideshow that nobody at Cleveland.com would read, he's number one through 10. Yeah. So for him to now have that shot to say, okay, well, let's see what I can do now. Now that I did it, I got my, I got the school that I loved to the place where I thought they should be. I left. I tried it. NFL bombed. Had a good time at Ohio State. Had some success. Maybe thought I'd go somewhere else. You know what? That kind of got screwy. But, you know, I... Because I think I asked him, I asked him some, I think I asked him last year at Rutgers, do you ever think about what if you would have stayed? Mm-hmm. And he said, like, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Like, the idea that Greg Schiano would just be, like, the 20-year Rutgers head coach who's, like, I'm trying to think, like, what even a, what even a comparison is. Like Paterno. Like, you know. But I should know is not a great comparison now, but. <laughs> yeah. That he's just, like, he's the Bill Snyder of Rutgers yeah. or whatever, and it's, like. There's a version. I understand why I left, and all of us face those choices in life. Stay where you're happy and comfortable and successful, or try to see what might happen if you do something else. But you know what? I think there's really something to the idea of I get trying, and then if it doesn't work out, to go back where you were happy and comfortable and successful, that's a pretty good outcome. Yeah. So, yeah, good luck at Rutgers. Greg Schiano. welcome back. Chris Ash, 90% chance it happens. Uh, I think this question fits in with that discussion from Michael Wine. He says Oklahoma fired its defensive coordinator this week. Fired Mike Mike Stoops, right? Mark Stoops is the head coach at Kentucky. Mike Stoops was the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Uh, would Urban ever do this with one of his coaches midseason because of poor job performance? Zero percent chance. I think also zero percent chance. And the thing that you have to remember is that. Lincoln Riley inherited part of that staff at Oklahoma, right? I don't know exactly how that all went down. I think he inherited the whole staff. So, Because Bob Stoops left right before the season. So there's a difference. When you inherit a staff, even if you like the guys, it's not the staff you would pick. Yeah. It doesn't mean that all of them aren't guys you would pick, but there's no chance that if there's nine assistants on a staff and you become the head coach, that you'd be like, well, coincidentally, these are exactly the nine guys that I would hire. And the guy that he replaced him with 
is the guy who was like the most important person in Lincoln Riley's career and one of the three most important people in his life, probably, in Ruffin McNeil. So he's wanted if, – if Lincoln Riley had gotten to pick his defensive coordinator from the start, that's who would have been the defensive coordinator from the start. Yeah. He just – it's like he took over for Bob Stoops. He couldn't fire Bob Stoops' brother like the next day. That would have been awesome. He basically fired him as soon as he could fire him because what happened was he took the job. They were awesome. They made the playoff, and he's not going to fire the guy after they made the playoff. Even and then a million points to Georgia. He fired him like the – he fired him the first time they lost. Since like he didn't, the playoff, yeah. I mean, I guess he could have fired him after Iowa State last year, right? They yeah. beat Ohio State. They hold Ohio State to 16 points in Ohio Stadium. They lose to Ohio State, Iowa State three weeks later, and he fires him. But once he didn't fire him after the first loss – this was the first opportunity to to fire him ag- again, right? Yeah, and it was Texas. So he didn't fire him the first time he did he could. He did fire him the second time he could. So if Urban Meyer inherited a staff and was like, uh like if Jim Tressel instead of resigning, like if Jim like if Jim Tressel had resigned on May 31st and Urban Meyer had taken over like then. Yeah. And it was like, well, He's just for now. He'll keep Trestle's staff, and it's like it's like Urban Meyer with Jim Bowman. <laughs> it's like Jim Bowman, and then but then Ohio State goes twelve and zero in Urban's first year, and he's like, well, I can't fire Bowman now. <laughs> like when they got to the middle of the next season, and they lost to Penn State, and they scored like seventeen points at Penn State. That's what would have happened to Jim Bowman. Yeah. Other than that, if it's a guy that Urban picked, if it's a guy that Urban brought in, and Urban. That's what he does. He gets to bring in his people. He would never do it. He would never do it. We saw what it took for him to finally fire an assistant coach. And he's never he's never fired an assistant coach. He will not use I mean like yeah. he won't do it. Ed Warner magically decided to go from decided to be Minnesota's offensive line coach instead of Ohio State's offensive coordinator, but he wasn't fired. Right. Uh this is a good straightforward question from the idiot on Twitter. Is Alex Grinch doing a good job? I think no. Incomplete, but but maybe no. Not yet. I mean, he's got young players, which I I think is important to consider. Um, but he is the safety position coach, and I don't think like I I even think like Jordan Fuller has been okay, but I don't think has maybe taken the jump that we thought he might. And obviously Isaiah Pryor and Jocelyn went the other two guys who have started there have had their struggles. So I think so far, no, he's he's not done a good job. Ohio State and he makes a lot of money. Ohio State in three years. So in two thousand sixteen, right? In two thousand sixteen, the guy in the cornerback's room was Kerry Combs. The guy in the safety's room was Greg Schiano. Mm-hmm. And the guy in the linebacker's room was Luke Fickle. Mm-hmm. In 2018, the guy in the cornerback's room is Tabor Johnson. The guy in the safety's room is Alex Grinch. And the guy in the linebacker's room is Bill Davis. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a step down in all three spots. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't, I like, Alex Grinch put together a really good defense at Washington State. And I think it's perfectly fine and acceptable to be like a better coordinator than you are a position coach. And maybe Alex Grinch is that. But, it, in the meantime, he is the safety's position coach, and his position is underperforming. And it's not that they're bad. I don't think they're bad. Oh, wait. 
I think one of them is bad. I don't, I'm not saying that Alex Grinch and Tabor Johnson are bad, but it just like, I'm not saying that, that Ohio State's guards are bad. But if Malcolm Pridgen and Demetrius Knox aren't Pat Elfline and Billy Price, then I don't know that Tabor Johnson and Alex Grinch are Kerry Combs and Greg Schiano. Yeah. And Schiano's around. Ash. Or Ash. Yeah. And, and Schiano's around, but he's not, he's not in there with the safeties, only the safeties, watching film, playing paintball with them. Yeah. Talking to them about their emotions and their classes and their lives and all that stuff where you get to know your position group. So it's an adjustment. Um, but it's only fair if we're going to call out Bill Davis all the time. It's only fair to, to question the position coaches at other positions sure. where they seem to be not be not be living up to expectations. And I think this, the safeties would fit that. Um, Adam Grinstead asked a couple questions. One of them was about Isaiah Pryor. He says, did, it, did Isaiah Pryor turn a corner in the second half against Indiana? Looked like he made a lot of plays. I thought Isaiah Pryor played well against Penn State and did look good in the second half against Indiana. And I am like increasingly confident that they're starting to get that figured out. I think there's still a lot of room to grow, but it's clear that Jocelyn Wentz not the guy, and Sean Wade played there a little bit, but clearly they like Isaiah Pryor more there because Wade didn't play in the second half. And I do, th- I think Pryor's been better. So turned a corner. I'm not so sure just yet, but but trending upward maybe I think would be a fair assessment of how he's played the last few weeks. Is it seem like like he came up? He'll come up and make a hit on you, right? Mm-hmm. On a, on a thing in front of you, but. That probably comes from the same place. Like his instinct to be aggressive and move forward to make a play is also the same thing that when you have an instinct to be aggressive and your first steps are forward all the time, then sometimes you come up and pop a guy, but also sometimes you take three steps forward and then somebody runs past you for 90 yards. Yeah, I I don't think he's been in the position yet. Like against either Penn, maybe I'm misremembering Penn State, but definitely against Indiana. Like I don't think we haven't seen Pryor in a position to see whether or not he's gotten better with the angles. So that's we that remains to be seen. We need to see that to, to say he's turned a corner, I think. Um But there there was a difference in the second half last week. I mm-hmm. know people said why right. Why were they better in the second half at the defense? And it's because part of it's Isaiah Pryor was on the field. Oh, this was a good question, and I asked Top Borland about this uh on Tuesday. Nathan Freilich says, uh is linebacker linebacker issue a scheme problem? They seem to be lined up too close to the line to be able to diagnose and react. I heard you ask that question. Were you inspired by Nathan Freelich to ask it, or were you going to ask it on your own? I was not. I was going to ask, because it did, it did seem like in the second half, maybe I saw somebody mention it on Twitter. That's why I thought about it. They were playing with more depth, the linebackers were. Um, so I asked Top Bullen about it. I said, like, what's the deal when you're doing that? What are you looking for? And the answer is, is pretty obvious. They're up on the line. It just basically creates more defensive linemen, and the your four down linemen can't be double teamed because you have linebackers up there. Um, I think when you're playing an offense that is running read option, it makes it more difficult to figure out who you're going to read. And they do some stuff with the ends and the outside linebackers where they like swap roles within plays. And then the quarterback is left like it ends up reading the wrong guy sometimes. And then the play breaks down and it doesn't work. So I definitely see the value in bringing your defensive or your linebackers up that close to the line. But the problem is, and we've seen it a few times now, is that when they're blocked, there's nobody there. Yep. And they get through the line, and then it's a 93-yard touchdown because the safeties are having troubles with their pursuit angles. So um, I think it's just it's a, it's a schematic thing with Shiano, and I agree with the question. I think it's part of the issue we've seen. I think they should probably play with a little more depth. 
um, for two reasons. One, to allow them to react and see things a little better. And Tough Borland admitted, like, you do get to see that, but there's always a trade-off with everything they do. And sometimes you want to be more aggressive. Um, but also, I think it helps them in the passing game, too. Like, they got, they've gotten beat on a couple of these RPOs where the linebackers are just really up in there and they just throw the ball over their head. And that's the design of the play, obviously. That's why you do it. Um, but if those linebackers are playing back a little bit, Maybe those plays get taken away. Maybe Pete Werner is able to see, has a little more time to notice, like, oh, hey, this they're going to try to throw this over my head, and he'll have time to get back to a spot because he's not three yards in the backfield already. Um, so I, 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 that's, I think that's the thing I'm most curious to see with the linebackers moving forward is if they if they play with a little more depth, more than they have been the last few games. Because a couple of those slants that have broken out for big touchdowns, it, it's felt like, like you said, there's not even if. Just that the linebacker would be a threat in a passing lane. That yeah. he's that he's eight yards behind the line of scrimmage, and so right when that receiver's coming on a quick slant, he's at least in the area to make the quarterback have something to think about, as opposed to you get a good release off the line, you beat the man-to-man coverage, and then all of a sudden, if the safety who's 20 yards deep doesn't take the right angle, that's it. Yeah. And then it feels like some of them they're having the linebackers up and they're obviously when they're up in those gaps they're threatening but they're not they're not coming all the time no. they're trying to like you said they're trying yeah. to maybe prevent double teams because a lineman thinks maybe maybe I have to block this mm-hmm. guy and then sometimes they get back but these are young linebackers you're asking a lot of them these are not 3 year starters these are not juniors and seniors who are trying to do this so Pete Warner has never played tough borland started became a starter in the middle of last year and then missed all this time with an injury, and now you're asking those guys to come up to the line, threaten, then get back and get in position and read what's happening. And it feels like sometimes you've seen plays where they get caught in no man's land, where it's like, well, they didn't come. They didn't blitz. And like you said, a ball was thrown over their head, and they were a non-factor in the play. Yeah, They were on the field, but they didn't do anything. They didn't pressure the quarterback. Maybe they helped free up a, a defensive lineman who wasn't double-teamed. But really, they ended up standing six yards from the quarterback, not coming after him, not helping in pass coverage, and boom. Yeah. And 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 makes me feel like an old man, but I just felt like every play, James Laurinaitis stood in the middle of the defense, looked at everything that was happening, and then reacted. And reacted often before it happened because he knew it was going to happen. But I think if you let – if that's all Tough Borland and Baron Browning were doing when they were playing middle linebacker, look, diagnose, let your film study and your instincts guide you, and then go make a play. Yeah. Like, obviously there's reasons they do the things they do, but that's the kind of old linebacker play that I think some Ohio State fans are looking for. It's like, man, just like figure out what's going on and then go track a guy down. And and they're moving around so much, there's just seems like less opportunity for that. Man, linebacker I think is harder than it used to be. In the, uh, yeah, in the RPO so. spread world, mm-hmm. linebackers have a lot to think about. Yep, I think you're right. And safeties too. Yep. Uh Jordan Steele. Does the and this is two weeks down the road, but they're playing Minnesota, so who cares? Does the Purdue game being set for seven thirty PM not AM make you any more worried for a potential trap game? I am actually less worried Agreed. about a trap game because if you're rolling in the West Lafayette for what is, I guess, an 11 a.m., they're central time, right? Not anymore. Oh, they're not? Okay. Anyway, 
sleepy whatever Ross Ayed Stadium for a noon game when there's 30 people in there, um, I think lends itself more to a trap game than like a night game where everybody's juiced up. And it's going to be very, it's going to be an important game for Purdue, and I think they'll play well. But Ohio State's not going to be caught off guard by it. No, and I, I don't know what whether it was a noon kickoff or a three thirty kickoff when Ohio State lost at Purdue in two thousand nine. But I completely agree. The way to get Ohio State is when it's unjuiced. Like yeah. more juice, more juice is not what gets Ohio State. Lack of juice yep. is what gets Ohio State. Lack of juice. Uh book fifty four. So like I I I a hundred percent agree. Like there, because there's not there's nothing intimidating no. about Purdue. It's lovely. They're wearing black shirts and they have a train engine. Yeah. Um. But I agree with you. Uh, Tyler Shoemaker, who left on the schedule, presents the biggest problem for Ohio State's defense, and who presents the biggest problem for Ohio State's offense. I think offense is Michigan. Michigan's defense is the best one. Ohio State has will play all year, and they haven't played them yet. Um, who presents the biggest problem for the defense? I mean, like probably, probably Michigan again. Is Michigan it, again. I think if they get stuff figured out, I I do think it's possible. Purdue? Purdue's the answer. Yeah, Rondell, Rondell Moore, and out of the slot, Jeff Brom, Jeff Brom scheming some stuff up. I don't. I don't even know if they're still playing two quarterbacks or not. I mean, I guess if but, Jeff. <clears throat> All the things that you're seeing, that we're seeing, that Urban Meyer is talking about, that everyone's pulling their hair out about, Jeff Brom is is scheming that up yesterday. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the idea of a fast guy, it's always like, I mean, why did, I don't know who the Oregon State kid was who went to the house. Who was Artavis the- Artavis Pierce. Who was the TCU kid? Was it? Uh, was it the guy we talked about that week, or was it somebody else? No, it wasn't. It wasn't Turpin. It but was they were running back. But they were talking about how fast TCU was after that game, right? Um, KJ Hamler, fast, fast, mm-hmm. fast, fast, fastest guy in the field. So Rondale Moore is going to be the fastest guy in the field. When Ohio, when when it doesn't happen, uh, man, it's not a good story idea. How often? How many times a year does Ohio State play a team when the fastest guy in the field isn't a Buckeye? On 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 either side of the ball, that yeah, like, it's rare. That like when Ohio when you put Ohio State's offense out there, I don't know that there's many defenders. Are there how many corners or safeties are there that they play that are as fast as Paris Campbell? So maybe with the Ohio State offense this year, the answer is nobody. But the Ohio State defense, it's like well, you line up. I mean, and and, and I guess it's not just forty time. It's like functional speed and an offense. But like, yeah, Kendall Sheffield's really fast and has a good forty time, and it's a track guy. But man, I, it's not like well, if Rondale Moore catches something, well, that's okay. Kendall Sheffield will get him. That's I mean that. So KJ Hamler was was a guy that was fast enough to go ninety three yards when you gave him a shot, and Rondale Moore is going to be the same way. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of questions like about next year because I think people are just bored with the schedule at the moment. Uh, who from this receiver core will be on the roster next year? Campbell and Dixon and McLaurin and Saunders are the seniors, so they're not going to be. And then Victor, Mack, and Hill are all draft eligible. Victor will be back. I think Mack is uh, Mac is not having the year that, that we thought in terms of he's the standout breakout guy of the group. He's right. fine, but they're all having mm-hmm. they're all contributing. Um I mean he would just really want to go. He would just because I don't even know what he would be right now. 
like is he a, is he a fifth round pick? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't, yeah. Like he would just be like, I'm just I'm done, which happened, which is fine. Um, I feel like KJ might go just because uh, it's going to be one of those things, and guys get faced with this choice, and sometimes you think, well, KJ Hill's been in a group of guys. And now maybe he could stay and be be the guy or whatever. And I think sometimes, like to us, that sounds appealing. But I think often the reality is more like my friends are leaving. Why would I stay? Yep. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I do. I lump him in with that group with with Dixon, McLaurin, and Campbell. So, and he redshirted a year, mm-hmm. right? So he's a fourth. You know, I mean, anytime you're a fourth year junior, it's like, well, it's not. You didn't want a redshirt, you know? Like he, yeah. nobody ever wants to redshirt. So I, I would just guess, just based off history and that kind of thinking, that KJ Hill will be gone too, and that next year we're talking about starting receivers. Now, that, now the issue is that Mac and Victor share a spot. Yep. So one of them's going to have to change position if they're both going to be starters. And then, Demario as the H back. Woo, Demario. It's probably going to be Jalen Gill. Yeah, it's definitely going to be Jalen Gill. Damn it. <laughs> Maybe I'll see the Mario play more. Play more though, um, and I think like like the that X receiver spot. If if Mac and Victor both come back, like Jalen Harris is also there. I don't know. Like Jalen Harris can be buried for another year. I don't know. They've got to they've got to figure some stuff out. I mean, I don't know who the is it Chris Olave. Like, Chris Olave. Who, who's the guy who's going to jump? Yeah, the young guy that's going to jump and be like, all right, well, if you have. You know, they'll figure stuff out, but if Victor and Mac are back on the outside and then Jalen's been waiting his turn, but who's the guy who jumps? Is there a guy who jumps? I think it's Olave. Cameron Babb will be healthy off his knee injury. Um, And then Garrett Wilson will be here. That'll be very interesting to watch uh, because there's going to be opportunity. Yeah. And it's like, all right, well, Garrett Wilson's a freshman. Well, Jalen Harris, he'll be a third-year guy, but Jalen Harris hasn't seen the field. So it's not like Jalen Harris is going to be. I mean, you get two years of practice, but yeah. Garrett Wilson's going to have a shot where he's not going to be having to push a shot, push aside veterans. They could easily go with Mac and Victor share a spot, and the starter on the other side is Garrett Wilson. I think Wilson could move around too. I think he has the skill set to play all three receiver positions. Um, another question about next year from Scott Duda: Odds Dwayne Haskins returns for next year? I, low, looking pretty. Good. So here's the thing. There is a lot of stuff like in NFL circles about the idea of the one-year starter. It came to a head with Mitch Trubisky. Mm-hmm. And there's the whole thing that Bill Parcells always said of like quarterback starts in college is like a number one thing that you look for and that he doesn't want to draft a guy who doesn't have at least 30 career starts. Or I don't know what it is. But it's the idea that playing a lot in college really, really matters. Um, and for some people, that's fine. Some people believe in that. Also, Mitch Trubisky was the number two pick in the draft, having started for one year at North Carolina and in a situation where he did not beat out the guy ahead of him for two years, and the guy ahead of him wasn't JT Barrett. Yeah. So it's like some people are like, man, what, do you, what does that say about Mitch Trubisky that he, he had a chance to win the job, he didn't, and then when he won it, like they were fine. It wasn't like North Carolina was a playoff team. But then when he got his chance, he looked really good. So I, there are some NFL people who are already starting with that line of thinking with Dwayne Haskins. Like the, I hope he goes back, I hope he goes back, just because there's a belief about NFL draft picks who only started one year as a quarterback. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be the thing that keeps him here. I don't think like Dwayne Haskins and his family and his decision makers in his life 
I don't know that they would look at that view of NFL, the NFL draft and say, you know what, that's a good point, we'll stay. Yeah, I don't think so either. So uh, we've said it a million times already, he's gone. If we're wrong, celebrate. But he's gone just because it's not a realistic thing to think about. And then you can start looking at who are the other options, Drew Locke at Missouri and Justin Herbert at Oregon um, and, and people who are in the mix. I don't think he has to be the overall number one pick. I don't think he has to be the slam dunk first quarterback off the board to go. But if he thinks he's one of the top four quarterbacks and he's going to go before pick 25 in the first round, then I think it's very, very hard to come back. What was the question? Odds he returns next year. I mean, I would say, I would say like eight to one. Yeah. I might even go a little lower than that. But that sounds, yeah, that sounds good. And then the second part of the question was if he leaves, how certain are you that it's Tate Martell's job? 100%. Not quite 100. I know where you are. That's the secret about you. The secret about <laughs> you is that you love Tate Martell and you proclaim to be a Tate lover and you ask or admire about Tate Martell and you write a big story about Tate Martell. That's one of the five. The Indians are in the playoffs and the Browns are winning games. And one of the five most popular stories on our site the other day is Bill Landis writing about should Tate Martell have a role on this team because he asked Urban Meyer about it. But the secret <laughs> is that you ate tacos with Matthew Baldwin yep. and you might secretly love Matthew Baldwin even more than you love Tate Martell. I don't think I love Matthew Baldwin more than I love Tate Martell. Um, I just don't know who's the better passer. And if that would matter more. I think it probably wouldn't matter because I think Tate's a good enough passer and obviously he's very dynamic with the ball. So I think it's like, I'm like 90% certain Tate would be the starter, but I would leave 10% open for Matt Baldwin. So here's the thing, and we can talk about this on next week's podcast. Like, what we've seen with Dwayne Haskins and the evolution of this Ohio State offense is this an evolution? Is this a plan? Is this a change? Is this an adaptation to the modern college football world? Or is it a one-time thing for Dwayne Haskins? That, I think, is the question. And you're going to write a story about what this means for quarterback recruiting and that kind of thing. But, like, right now there's a guy on the roster who's an old-school Urban Meyer zone read quarterback. So do you have a belief that Matthew Baldwin, if he's a better, for lack of a better word, thrower than Tate, would that somehow give him a leg up in the competition because this is the way Ohio State wants to go now? Do you believe it would be just wide open, will adjust to whoever wins the job? Or do you believe that actually maybe Tate would have an edge because that's really still what they want to be. It's just Dwayne was the exception to the rule. He's the exception that proves the rule. But when you look at the history of Ohio State quarterbacking under Urban Meyer and you go Braxton Miller, JT Barrett, Cardale Jones blip out of necessity, Dwayne Haskins blip out of necessity, Tate Martell. But there still is a there's a through line from Braxton to JT to Tate that holds true. That is what holds true, or are we in the midst of a revolution? Uh, I'm not... It's weird because they recruited Tate for a reason, and like they recruited Tate knowing they had Dwayne and like they were going to have to do this. If they played Dwayne. Um, and the guys they have coming, like Dwan Mathis, 
is probably is, is at the moment a better runner than a thrower. Jack Miller can do a little bit of both. I think like Jack Miller is like kind of like Joe Burrow, just a little more talented. Um, I don't know. I think it's hard to answer. I I, I think I'm. It's, I guess it's the lamest answer to give. I like. I think it's just an adaptation to whatever they have. Um, but what they're showing now, and what I think is important that they're showing now, is that if they have a drop back passer, they've shown that they can build an offense around him, and that you don't have to be Tate Martell or JT Barrett to be successful at Ohio State. I think I agree with that, but I think in an open competition between Matthew Baldwin, more of a thrower, Tate Martell, more run skills, I think I give the I give the edge based on style of play to Tate. I think I would too, because I think yeah. it's still more what's in Urban's DNA. I don't think he's changing his DNA. I think he's made a smart adaptation to an obvious situation because he's got a, a a a rare dude here. But I don't, I don't, I, I just, I'm not sure. The, I don't know that Matthew Baldwin's a rare dude. No, no offense to Matthew Baldwin. No, I don't know if he is either. And it just depends for me, like a where where on the throwing spectrum does Tate Martell land? Like I don't know. Clearly, he's not Dwayne. But is he better than JT, or is he below even below JT? Like I just don't know. Is he even below Braxton? Like I don't, I don't think we know that about him yet. And if the answer is Tate Martell might be the most dangerous quarterback Urban has had with the ball in his hands since Braxton, but he also might be like the worst throwing quarterback he's had here. And I don't mean that as a shot at Tate. Um, we just don't know that about him yet. And if it, he is that bad, not bad, but if he's if he's just not the kind of thrower that they need to compete for championships, then then Matt Baldwin has the door open for him. I think it, the, I'm, I'm just now opening the door in my mind to 2000... What year is it? 2018. 2019 for Ohio State, looking a lot like 2013 for Ohio State. Because mm. you know what worked pretty well in 2013? was a little bit of Braxton and a little bit of Carlos Hyde, and not many people could stop it. Nobody could stop it until 4th and 2 against Michigan State. So if you go back to world where, listen. They might have better receivers, too. we got to throw. Of course we're going to throw. But we're going to put Tate Martell and J.K. Dobbins out there every snap of every offensive play for the whole year. All right, Master Teague, you get a little bit of this. But we're going to, every play, you have to figure out who's getting the ball, Martell or Dobbins, and what you're going to do about it. I love this offense right now. I'm in for that offense, too. Yeah, and it's not, yeah, I think they can be successful either way. And if, like, Tate Martell, like, we compare them all the time because they're short white guys, but, like, if Tate Martell is, like, something close to Trace McSorley, and I don't know if he is or not, but, like, that's plenty good enough. And he's a better runner. Did you hear longing in Urban's voice at all and talking about Trace McSorley? Yeah, he loves those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Little, like, slighted guys who play with a lot of heart. Yeah, he loves them. Like, I feel like if, if, like, uh, if, if. Some Penn State assistant had like called like called up Ohio State right now, and was like, "All right, Urban, we'll trade you Trace McSorley for Dwayne Haskins for the rest of the year." Urban be like, "Okay," and Ryan Day be like, "Urban, Urban, Urban, Urban." Urban be like, "No, no, no, right, 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 no, 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 you're right, no, no." And it's not that he wants to trade Dwayne Haskins; it's just that there's like the natural part of him would yeah. be like, "Yeah, that sounds un- yeah, yeah." Because <laughs> and the Penn and Penn State would call knowing Penn State recruited Dwayne Haskins, yeah. He's from Maryland and New Jersey. He is. Um, Doug DeLillo. I feel like I haven't had a DeLillo question in a while. Uh, he says, you seem to hear the reason the running game looks pedestrian is that the quarterback run is gone and it takes away a numbers advantage. So why can teams like Wisconsin have a great running success without a running quarterback and OSU can't? Is it strictly O-line related? 
Uh, no, uh, Wisconsin will throw in a fullback and three tight ends. Yeah. And Ohio State is trying to run one back running plays out of sets that have still have three wide receivers on the field, and it's hard. Um, so that's why, like, pro style teams run without the running quarterback all the time, but they do it because they put extra blockers in the game. And Ohio State, I don't think, is going to do that. They might put, they've done some two tight end stuff, but not a ton of it. They don't have a fullback on the roster. The tight end plays fullback when they do that stuff. Um, that's what it is. It's partly the O line, but it's also just like different offensive philosophy. You can line up in the I formation, run a dive, and be okay, but that's not what they do. And they're just, and again, I, what year was it? I mean, Jeff Hyman was like a big athletic guy who could do anything you asked him to do. And there was a stretch there. I can't remember what year it was. But there was a stretch there where they just turned Jeff Hyman into a whammer, where yeah. he just like lined up in the in a little H-wing thing, and he just went in the hole and whammed people yep. for like a month. And he was like, oh, man, I don't know. This it's not really what I want to do, but, you know, you still get to go out after the game, so I'm good. <laughs> And it worked like crazy. I mean, you yeah. can see it. So they don't have a whammer like that they at don't. the moment, which again is not, but it's just a reality. And, and like Ruckert's not that. And I think they're, they're obviously they're playing Barry and Farrell. And I think they're looking for stuff. And I think they're, they're searching a little bit for that. I mean, like to be honest, and I, they're just not going to do it. So there's no sense talking about it. Like when two guys in the backfield, you know who could do that? Mike Weber. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Mike Weber. <laughs> You're a fullback now. <laughs> and we're going to have you on the... The good news is you're going to play every snap. The bad news is JK is going to get every carry yeah. and you're a lead blocker. And Mike Weber would be like, what? And then he would go out and knock a linebacker on his butt 30 times a game. So, like, that's not going to happen. But it's just... I mean, it's it's the... Listen, it's the price you pay for throwing for 435 yeah. yards. Yeah. Uh... Would you rather have a one-on-one exclusive interview with Tim Beck or Bill Davis? Um, Tim Beck, because I think there's more intrigue around everything that happened. Like that 15 team again, they blew they blew they blew a mini dynasty. They they had a chance to in the middle of the Saban era build a mini dynasty because winning back-to-back titles when Saban's around would have been a mini dynasty. I mean, they would have been looked at in a very different way than they're looked at now. And what the way they're looked at now is a team that won a national championship, and then the heart of that team went on and had more guys drafted in the first three rounds of the draft than any team ever. But they fell short of being what they could have been, and one of the main culprits of why they fell short is Tim Beck. It's not all his fault, but he's at the heart of what went wrong. Tim Beck, Ed Warner, Urban Meyer, and their inability to figure out the quarterback situation in 2015, and all that went into that kept Ohio State from being a team that would have been looked at in a historic way very differently than they're going to be looked at. Um, and to delve into that, I think as much as like, hey, you know, did you guys dance to uh, celebrate good times at Urban's wedding or whatever? Like, what was the party like? You know, how much cake did you eat? Those would be good questions for Bill Davis. I have about 50 for Tim Beck about <laughs> what happened in 2015 and, and what could have gone differently. You? Beck, for sure. Because I already know Bill Davis isn't a good coach. I knew that when they hired him. Birds. And every other NFL team he was on. <laughs> he was never good. Anyway, uh, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, Tobin Howard asks, on a scale of 1 to 10, 
Why is it that I think Doug would say it's an 11, that getting the H-back involved in the running game would only help diversify the attack? And then he said, since Paris isn't suited for it, which is wrong, uh, could you use McCall? And he says, thanks, I'll hang up and listen. Because that's right? Because I do yeah. think it's an 11? I think it's an, Yeah, I agree that it's an 11. Like, Paris Campbell's a running back. He's played very well as a receiver this year. Like, he's still a running back. I think he could be really good if he had the ball off the line. Yeah. And so, like, there's a reason. <laughs> it makes me wonder. It's like, there's a reason they're not doing it. It's not like they haven't thought of it. There's well, a reason. It. They didn't want They put Campbell in the backfield against was it Penn State. They put him back there. Like, they handed the ball off to him once and then had him block the other time. Yeah, that's awful. Though. Yeah. I don't want that. Yeah. But, I mean, there's a, there's a reason they're not running eight jet sweeps a game. Right? Because they could. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what the reason is. But there must be a reason. The reason is not they forgot yeah. or they didn't think of it. There's a reason, and it might relate to blocking on the edge, their inability of 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 a tight end or an H back or a receiver to to seal something on the edge to give that a chance to work. Mm-hmm. It could relate to that. Um, <clears throat> I don't think it relates to the ability of the person who would be getting the ball. I mean, unless they try it in practice and it's like Paris is awesome at certain things, but he just has trouble getting around the edge or something when you run him sideways on a jet sweep or Maybe. or DeMario or something. I don't know. Um, I love the double H look, which they don't do that much. And it's just – now I'm going to sidetrack myself. I'll get back to it in a second. <laughs> but I love when they have KJ and Paris in the game at the same time. Like the idea to me of like two outside receivers, two H's on opposite sides – and you can motion either H and run a, a jet sweep with either H, and then the other H becomes your lead blocker, and you do all. I feel like there's, yeah. but they don't do it. So yeah, because uh, everything they want to do, they don't change the personnel packages that much. They usually they have three receivers, a tight end, and a running back. When they go five wide, the running back and the tight end go wide. You know, they like to do, they like to keep base, that's their base personnel. Yeah. Three receivers, obviously, is their base personnel. They like to keep base personnel and change formations based off of that. But I feel like within their base personnel or close enough to it, they could do some things that, to me, jet sweeps with some of these guys would work. And they don't do it. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'll be curious to see if, if, if it comes back. Because it, I think it's obvious they need it, and I don't. I don't know what the reason for not using it is either. But like, this is the time of year to start doing that stuff, like to work on some things. Minnesota's not any good. Maybe like Purdue, whatever is tricky. Then they play Nebraska. Like Nebraska stinks too. So figure some stuff out now, including getting the H backs involved, more involved in the offense than just catching bubble screens. But do you notice when they do go to actual four wide receivers? Do you notice who comes in every single time? CJ Saunders. He's there. He's the fourth. When they go four wide, and they put four receivers in the game, the guy who comes in is CJ Saunders. And every how many catches does he have this year? Like three. And then, but then also, like if you're going to try to do anything in the run game, now CJ Saunders is blocking. Like I just, I don't know why. They ne- they almost never have have they did it a little bit last year. They almost never have Paris and KJ in the game together. No. And so, and CJ Saunders weighs 175 pounds or whatever he does. And so it's like, all right, if you're not throwing to CJ Saunders, now CJ Saunders is supposed to block for somebody. And I just, it's no offense to CJ Saunders. I just have a hard time believing that that's where they are, that that's the absolute best way to attack a defense is okay. We're finally going to put four receivers on the field together and, and CJ Saunders is in the game. He's a good route runner, though. 
Uh, this is the last question I had from Twitter. No, you no, it's not. Go ahead and ask it, but then I'm going to tell you that it's not. I was going to ask you the one about. Uh, oh, it's from it's from your guy Jay Porkchop. What's the podcast rating going to drop to after three months without me? Yeah, the uh, what's the bill bump? Yeah, what's the bill bump? So I will make note. But we have to, so now we have to get to all the questions about like what what the, your farewell dinner should be and like me driving people away. Oh yeah, I skipped all those. So no, I don't know if you want to answer them, no, people want to know. That's okay. what that's what they just are sitting through an hour and forty two minutes of football talk to get to the real stuff. So I swear that I will make note of the podcast rating after. Um, when will I do it? I'll do it. I'll make note before. This podcast posts next week, the midweek one, which will be the first one you're not on, where the podcast rating is. So we will have a firm handle on the bill bump. Yeah. 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 I suspect it will not be that high or that significant. Uh, There's not, to be honest, there's not a lot of reviews that say, I love Doug, but I hate Bill. That's true. (laughs) Has there even been one of those? I don't Uh, think there's even been one of those. No, but those people have to exist. Do they? Maybe. They might not. If you hate me, leave a five-star <laughs> review. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That will be out of the woodwork. Like, oh, now that guy's gone. Yeah. I hate that his Philly vibe. That's and I fair. hate talking about offensive linemen and Sean Wade and Tate Martell. And Drew Crispin. And Drew Crispin. Now he's gone. Now <laughs> we can get back just to... Uh, just to robots and Demario McCall and and things that matter. So uh, there, I mean, I, I'm not saying there's a hundred reviews that say we like Bill and we hate Doug, but there's more than zero, and there are zero that say we love Doug and we hate Bill. So I think it's possible. <laughs> I think it's possible there's a Bill bump. I I think it I think it might be. I don't think we'll go down to like a two star. It might be hard for me to hold on to the five star. Because the problem is, is I'm not likable. I disagree with that. I'm amusing, perhaps. Perhaps um, entertaining or in- interesting. I'm not particularly likable. I'm not a person that someone would say, that I want to go have a beer with that guy. Because they think, first of all, I don't even like beer. And second of all, I'd just be shouting the whole time and screeching. Maybe if you had a beer that you wouldn't you wouldn't do that though. Bill's uh, gone, and, and this is a new black guy. So I'm gonna do the best chance I have to be a nice guy. For someone who doesn't drink, you do a really good drunk voice. I've been drunk. No, I know. I, I know. threw donuts out the window one time. Not donut Not holes. Donut holes, just whole donuts. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, go my permanent record. I don't know. I don't see these. Uh, Aren't there ones about um, me? Someone, drive? someone, yeah. Someone, uh, Michael McCall says, "What is Doug doing to drive drive everyone away like this?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's answer that. Let's answer that because, like, next week I can answer that myself. So, what's your answer to what I do to drive people away? Because I've got to be honest, I've worked with four people on this beat, <laughs> <laughs> and none of them are still on it. <laughs> So I don't know if that's I don't know I don't know what that is. Now it's been over a period of time, but 
I was the longest, right? Yeah. Because Zach was only a year. Zach Meisel, God, yeah. he hit that escape hatch as yeah. soon as possible. He was like, get me back to Cleveland. And Ari was three? Ari was 13, 14, 15, 16. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And I was 14, 15, 16, 17, part of 18. Yeah. So Ari was four. You were four and a half. That's a good run, man. That is a good run. It's like college. Yeah. LeBron went back. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Tim, by the way, is not going to be back in the podcast. Tim has is back at Cleveland.com, but his job uh, description has changed. He's going to help out on all the beats. He's going to do um, um, posts on everything that's happening with Ohio State and the Browns and the Cavs and the Indians and um, things of interest that like to get people to interact with the site and put up polls and lists of things, just like interesting little posts, um, which is – I think best for him and best for the company for to have him take on that role. So um, he will be still be doing some Ohio State posts on the site, but um, he's not going to be around. He's not exclusively Ohio State anymore. So as a result, he's not going to be in the podcast anymore. So I know um, some people were asking about that, but that's the situation going forward. So um, I will say tune in next week to this midweek podcast on Wednesday um, because – I'm going to need you, and I'm going to have a lot of questions for you guys, and we're going to figure this out together. But what percent of your decision was getting the hell away from me? Zero. Come on, ten. <laughs> ten! Zero. I screech! That's all right. You're the only person in my life that screeches, though. I can take one person oh, that screeches. yeah. Philly people don't screech. I'm like Some a... do. Some do. <laughs> Birds! Yeah. No, zero percent. All right, what uh, what what aren't there more? There what, what's a farewell? Someone said like, what's a farewell dinner? Oh yeah, I couldn't come up with a good answer for that. I don't know. People, the one thing people do say negatively about me in the reviews is that, uh, and that's about all of us, but I'm at least included in it, is that we have terrible palates and we don't eat oh. good food. Yeah, we eat like like drunk guys and children. Yeah. And also, you sound like Seth Rogen, so take that. Oh, yeah, 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 that too. Although so no, Seth, more, so more, no more Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen's a lovable guy that everybody loves. That's true. Uh, farewell meal. The problem is, like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I know. <laughs> Are you going to sit in the same seat at the news yeah. conferences? I was wondering that. Actually, <laughs> I would like to. Get the hell out of here, Landis. Because I like my seat. Uh, we sit in the front row. It's funny how things work at uh, at Ohio State. There's we sit in the team room, so we sit in the room to interview Urban Meyer at the podium every Monday and every Wednesday. Is that's where they have their team meeting? So they're they're flipped down. They're like movie seats. They're very nice. They have a little desk that yeah. flips up so players can take notes. We can put our computers on those seats, and over time. It has just been established that you have a seat there. Mm -hmm. And so Austin, in the front row, Austin Ward, who is in his third iteration of who he works for, his seat hasn't changed. He yep. sits on the far left. Um, and then Bill Rabinowitz and Tim May from the dispatch sit on the left side, but not on the end. Uh, Dave Biddle from Bucknuts sits like right in the middle in the front row. Yep. Um, and then Mitch Stacy sits in the seat that Rusty Miller sat in. It's the AP seat. It's the end seat on the far right. Mm -hmm. And then I sit in the seat that is the second to the end seat on the far right. And you have been sitting for at least the past couple years. Last, last two, maybe last three, yeah. Next to me, third seat from the end on the far right. So yeah. it's sort of like um, the dispatch is on the left. 
Letterman Rose on the left, AP and Cleveland.com are on the right, Buck Nuts is in the middle. And then people, Tony Gerdeman from the Ozone sits in the second row, Ari sits right behind us, yeah. some BSB guys sit right behind us. So the decision now is like, are you gonna like go sit with Ari like in in the athletic row or are you going to keep your seat or is Ari going to come up to the front row or like, that's Ar- definitely not going to happen. Is Ari going to be mad <laughs> if you're in the front row and he's in the, the second row when Absolutely. you guys are working together? Yeah. Yeah. Which is why you want to stay in the front row. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot that goes into this. If you think you guys are, are having, and like, people are tweeting like, Oh my God, what am I going to do without Bill? If you're feeling that, imagine what we're feeling. Where is the man going to sit? <laughs> My farewell meal would be McDonald's because that's where we always work. Yeah. But it's not really a farewell meal because, like, I'm still going to go to McDonald's work and you're still going to be at McDonald's working. Yes. And we see Ari there all the time. So yeah. it's not really going to be any different except that, like, you and I won't talk about what we're writing about. And we still eat wings with Ari. Yeah. 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 So it would be either McDonald's or Roosters depending if we were more interested in working or more interested in eating. No offense to McDonald's, but we're really there for the Wi-Fi and the yes. free drinks. Yeah. Although they've redone that McDonald's, it's lovely. They took out all the Ohio State memorabilia, uh, which I always was going to write a story on and never wrote about. Um, so the farewell meal is he's not going anywhere, so he doesn't get anything. Yeah, yeah, nothing. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else? Any more questions? No. Somebody yeah. tried to talk me out of leaving. By, Did it work? By saying they weren't going to subscribe, which I thought was funny. <laughs> uh, it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. Yeah. Um. So you're saying you now you want to stay, but you're you have to go. Is <laughs> yeah, that what you mean yes. by that? Okay, so far. so listen, so here's the deal. Here, so what do you think? Do you think people will still listen to Buckeye Talk? Yeah, I think they should, but I, yeah, I think they will. I don't know. Like I can't I can't speak for you on what the plan is, but I'm assuming it's not going to be just you in perpetuity. Like somebody else will be on here with you. And I think that person, whoever it is, will be good. Yeah. So you guys know Cleveland.com is planning to hire Bill's replacement. Um, we're in the process of that. Um, we're talking to really good people. Um, and we'll keep you posted. We'll keep you posted. And, you know, it's it's a you don't want to rush things in something like this. You want to make sure you get the right person. You want to make sure um, that you you have a wide search. And this is a really good job that a lot of people should be interested in. So we don't know uh, – when that's going to happen because you don't you just can't you can't know when you're going to find the right person and if they're going to take the job but i'm going to tell you that we're we're serious about it we're looking at good people we're making serious offers to serious journalists and being on this podcast is a major part it's not the it's not like the main thing but like it's pretty high up there it's pretty <laughs> as we've stated but, well, but it's because of the how it's grown because of you guys listening like it's a it's an important thing that we like it matters to the business of Cleveland.com now, and that's because you guys listen to it. And it's funny that it started off of like me and you and Ari sort of like sitting in his apartment, and uh, and we were talking about it. Like I think you you were very interested in us having a podcast, right? Yeah. And then we had a meeting, and it was like let's do podcasts. But we had already sort of started like we're at a we're at a very different place with podcasts at Cleveland.com. But you sort of helped push us and say like let's do this. Yeah. And we just started off. I know the, the, it's funny when you look at the iTunes reviews, it still pops up for me like the oldest. Oh, to, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the very first review is like, I'd listen to you guys, but your sound quality is so awful. Yeah. And it was like we would sit in Ari's apartment and there were 
trucks outside. We also had up. that microphone that we thought three people could talk into, but it wasn't possible. Yeah. And we were like, should we all sit under a blanket in Ari's apartment? Yeah. You could hear our skin sticking to his leather furniture. <laughs> um, so we're still talking into a cell phone, and my basement still felt smells like farts. But we've come a long way. We've come a long way from our humble beginnings. Um, and we're regularly rated um, in the top 20 for college and high school sports podcasts on iTunes. And um, there's some really like big-time famous podcasts on there. There's a lot of other local ones, too. There's like a Texas A&M podcast or a Michigan podcast because yep. we know there are passionate individual fan bases out there. But we're, we're ranked highest among Ohio State podcasts on iTunes, whatever that means. And there are other Ohio State podcasts on there. We're always the highest one. Yeah. So we we take this. It's one of those things that we don't take it seriously, but we do take it seriously. We care about it without taking it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It might sound like it's we're pulling it out of our butts every week, and we are, but it's with a plan, and the yeah. plan is to entertain, perhaps inform. Yeah. No, I people. I'm 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 not excited. I'm actually very sad to be leaving, especially leaving the podcast. But I am I am happy now that I can listen to Buckeye talk without feeling like the most vain person in the world listening to my own podcast. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, just so you know, if you ever felt that in the past, you were only the second most vain person <laughs> in the world. Okay. Because I go to Cleveland usually at least once a week and I just cruise down I seventy one listening to myself scream out of the radio and I am the happiest boy in Ohio. So I'll tell you, I love Buckeye Talk. I give it five stars. So listen, um, so we're going to keep going. If you've listened in the past, please stick with us, and I'm going to turn to you guys um, to help figure out exactly what we want to do. And in the end, in the end, we're going to get to a place where it is a multi-person podcast talking about Ohio State football and food. So, like, that's... That's not going to change. What's going to change is that Bill Landis isn't going to be here, and he's really, really, really good at this. So I will miss Bill immensely, um, but this is how life works. Life goes on. Um, nobody is irreplaceable. I'm not irreplaceable. Bill's not irreplaceable. You've got to find the next Bill Landis, and that's what we're going to try to do. Um, find someone who's... Just go find Seth Rogen. Yeah. I wonder, all these actors and stuff now want to do sports and stuff. Now, yeah, right? Like yeah, yeah. Michael Rappaport. Sure. If Michael Rappaport has a sports podcast, <laughs> Seth Rogen would co-host Buckeye Talk. <laughs> so Bill is an excellent reporter. He's an excellent writer. Uh, he's excellent on this podcast because he's an excellent dude, and he's been an excellent co-worker, and I'm really sad to see him go. But I'm also excited for Bill and what is next in his career, and I know there are big things ahead. So, um, Bill, do you – because I think we're going to do the, the post-game podcast. Yeah. On Saturday after the noon kickoff against Minnesota, but really this is this is Buckeye talk. That's just going to be like, oh, what do you think of PJ Flex play call on third and eleven or whatever? Right. So I think this really is the time to say goodbye. Is there anything else that you want to say to the listeners of Buckeye Talk? Uh, just thank you um, for for listening and and helping us grow this thing the way we did. Um, I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't. We did the one in Ari's house the first time we did. It. I was like, oh, maybe this will work. Maybe this won't. We had a bad name. It was literally called the Bad Podcast. <laughs> that was a bad name. Um, but it's re it's been really awesome to see what this has become. Um, and I don't. It'll it'll continue to grow. I don't have any doubt about that. Maybe I'll start a competing podcast. Mm. Uh, I'm just kidding. 
I don't know if no, I will or not. Well, I don't know if I will or not, but that was a joke. Um, no, but just thank you to everybody who's, who's listened and helped us make this what it is. Um, keep listening to this. Um, it'll be good no matter who Doug gets. It'll be good with Doug by himself. Even if his voice is screechy, um, nobody breaks down Ohio State like Doug does. So keep listening to it, and you will learn more about the team that you love. And uh, I will miss everyone um, who is like part of this little uh, – I don't know. It's a family. We made a well, we made a Buckeye Talk family, and now I'm leaving it. and I'm sad about it. Yeah, but here's the thing. But like you, everybody who tweets at Bill, like you can still tweet at Bill. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you're yeah. still allowed to tweet at him. Yeah, that's free. What you're not, <laughs> what you're not allowed to do is stop listening. But you're allowed to still tweet at Bill. You can do with Bill whatever you want. I want to start tweeting in questions to the Buckeye Talk <laughs> Twitter account. Hundred percent, we'll take them. Yeah, hundred percent burner account. Yeah, hundred percent, we'll take them. So, um, but you, the, the hardcore listeners, you may be hearing from me. Um, because the people who really are, are the most interactive with us, are the most uh, involved with us, have great questions every week. You hear their names. I'm going to reach out to you guys because I want your input on where we go forward and how we go forward on Buckeye Talk. But the bottom line is it's not going anywhere. But um, It's going to be like the Green Bay Packers podcast. Like, don't the people of Green Bay, like, have part ownership of the team? Yeah. Like, not actually, but they all have certificates saying they do? I'll send you a certificate. Yeah. It's completely worthless. <laughs> but I'll send anybody a certificate who wants one as a co-owner of Buckeye Talk. Because truly, you guys are the co-owners of this. So, um, thanks to all of you for listening. This will be uh, a new iteration of Buckeye Talk going forward. But um, I can promise you it's still going to be uh, interesting and fun. And about Ohio State football and about some crazy other stuff, too. But we certainly will miss Bill Landis, and we wish him nothing but the best um, in his new gig at The Athletic. And we uh, are eminently grateful for his time here at Cleveland.com. Ari and I still remember we were driving in 2014 to... Uh, the Navy game in Baltimore, and we were meeting this guy like in a Walmart parking lot somewhere in Cambridge. West, in where? In Ohio. Cambridge, Ohio. Like, because you were coming down from Cleveland, and it's like, this is the new guy on the beat. Yeah. And it was Landis. How about that? You drive into a Walmart parking lot, and you don't know what you're getting, and it's a Landis. That's the best thing I ever got at Walmart. <laughs> they should put you on a commercial. Um, and like, you know how they said the commercials were the prices? Would get lower, like at Walmart. Oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah, the not roll, you. The rollback. Yeah. No, no rollback for Landis. Price goes up <laughs> on Landis. We got Landis at a bargain, um, and we're grateful to have him. So, Bill Landis, good luck to you. Thank you. And when we end this podcast, um, you're still going to be in that chair, and I'm going to be in this chair, and we're not going to have gone anywhere. Correct. And then we're going to cover this team together for three more days and then go to the game Saturday. So, this is a goodbye for you guys. Um, stick with Bill at his new gig. Stick with Buckeye Talk. Thanks to you guys for everything you've done for us. For Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.